Hello, and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Cameron Regal. And Cameron, stinky ape summer has come to an end. Yes, the golden days of warmth and seemingly internal youth that you thought would last forever have rescinded into an ever-coldening, darker era of uncertainty encroaching anxiety, and depression. And on this episode of The Conversation, we're going to be marking the 20th anniversary of Rare leaving Nintendo and being purchased by Microsoft. I, I, I'm kidding. I joke. I jape. I jungle jape. We've obviously talked about the Rare buyout, which, you know, buyout in our fan community is a proper noun. It's just capital, capitalized buyout. You know what we're talking about. We've talked about it on the conversation in the past to varying degrees. A couple of times, actually. I know back in 2013, in like the first season of the show, we even did a couple of episodes about it framed from the dark perspective it felt like we were living in as far as rare status within the then Microsoft Studios But nearly a decade later, right in time for the 20th anniversary of the buyout on September 24th, which is when Cameron and I are recording this, things, well, I would say things do feel different. We're in a different headspace than we were back in the first season of the conversation. The Rare fandom and the DKU itself is in a much healthier contemporary place than it used to be. And it affords us the chance to mark this occasion, not with dread or sorrow, but with a bit more perspective, maturity, and yes, still a little bit of wistfulness and melancholy, as as you would expect that would come with it. So, you know, I'm looking forward to really diving into the buyout properly, to do an episode for it in time for its 20th anniversary. And hey... Stinky Ape Summer may be over, but we are going to have an amazing autumn here on The Conversation. We'll be diving into our Star Fox Adventures Spotlight episodes beginning next week, and we'll have lots of great episodes ahead dealing with current events and commemorating nostalgia for the Donkey Kong universe, Rare and Platonic, including the upcoming 25th anniversary of Diddy Kong Racing. So it's, it's going to be a nice crisp autumn here on The Conversation. We hope you include us in your fall plans or your uh, spring plans if you live in the Southern Hemisphere. And yeah, we're going to have we're gonna have fun. But with the end of Stinky Ape Summer came Gibbon blowing up my totally legit, not all made up endorsement deal with Jimmy Buffett's Landshark Island Style Lager. You know, I had a good thing going with Jimmy Buffett, and then Gibbon just out of nowhere did a plug for her preferred brand of alcohol, and uh, Jimmy Buffett was like, what the hell, dude? And uh, he canceled canceled our deal. So uh, instead, I'm back to drinking Bold Rock Hard Cider, 
not for an endorsement deal. I'm not making any money from it or uh, any sponsorships right now. Hence the drinking. But um, that's why DK Vine has a Patreon. DKVine.com forward slash Patreon. Check it out. If you like what we do here on The Conversation or, or DK Vine and you're, uh, you're, you're a fan of Donkey Kong or the Donkey Kong Universe, Rare, Platonic, and you want to support uh, independent Donkey Kong journalism, then please check us out. Just a little bit every month goes a long way towards keeping the lights on for this stupid, stupid endeavor. So it's much appreciated. DKVine.com forward slash Patreon special. Shout out to all of our patrons uh, who are listening right now and who have helped make this possible. Thank you so much. Also, be sure to check out DKVine on Twitch twitch.tv forward slash dkvine we stream about two to three times every week and uh we we stream dku games exclusively so you've got the idaho crew streaming on tuesday nights we've got me streaming dkvine done slow on wednesdays and we've got dkvine's stream of thieves on sunday mornings check your local times uh you know occasionally we may ship things around but that is the schedule so yep yeah, give, give us a follow on twitch and uh you know you can hang out with some like-minded weirdos and watch us play the games that you love so twitch.tv forward slash dk Cameron, happy buyout day. How how are you doing on the 20th anniversary of the rare buyout? Mm. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to get all existential on you. Like I, it, I just 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 in general, broad strokes. You having a good September 24th? Yeah, it's all right. It was also World Gorilla Day. And um I was thinking you know, last year, oh, I should do something for World Gorilla Day in 2022. And then I realized it fell on the same anniversary as the rare buyout. And I was like, <laughs> ah, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird congruence, congruence even of events. So let's maybe hold off until 2023 to really have like a, a big gorilla based fundraiser, maybe. But yeah, uh, World Gorilla Day. Shout out to the Diane Fossey. Gorilla Fund. Check them out if you want to support our uh, our gentle relatives of the jungle. But yeah, 20 years ago today, uh, Sergeant Pepper didn't teach the band to play. He broke up the fucking band. It started with rumors <laughs> and hearsay. Sorry, but it's time to go. <laughs> he blew his mind out in a car. Um, so Cameron, you and I last year, we discussed the highs of E3 2001 on the conversation. What an E3 that was spectacular for the Donkey Kong universe fan, you know, Donkey Kong racing, Diddy Kong pilots, Donkey Kong coconut crackers, Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's revenge, the full unveiling of what Dinosaur Planet was going to be as, as Star Fox Adventures. Just a lot going on. Saber Wolf, Game Boy Advance, even though we didn't acknowledge that was DKU until earlier this year. <laughs> it was it was really when Rare came across as this unstoppable juggernaut 
on Nintendo platforms. I mean, they were casting this wide net with their shared universe that, you know, consisted as its bedrock of Donkey Kong, Banjo-Kazooie, and Conker. And they were doing it across multiple games, multiple genres. It really did feel like we were finally getting to that stature, that level that we always dreamed about being. Same, like tier as as Mario where we would just have all sorts of different genres with the Kongs and the spin-off characters just heading them all up you know so while they have like Mario Kart and Mario Golf we would have the Diddy Kong racing games and we would have coconut crackers and, and it was just like yeah we're world beaters at long last we have made it throw our hats in the air like Mary Tyler Moore. It's funny that like that E3 was so good that the, the buyout, like in hindsight kind of makes it feel like a, like a very good dream that you slowly spot the thread and unravel to wake yourself up. Yeah, a little bit. It's also why I didn't take the rumors that were starting to spread in late 2001 about Rare looking for a change, about Rare looking to end their partnership with Nintendo. It's why I didn't take them seriously. It's why nobody at DK Vine, uh, on the DK Vine staff at the time, took it seriously because it didn't seem logical to us on the outside. Yeah, of course, there's there's three Donkey Kong games in development. Why would you do that if you if you right. were looking into the market? And you know, you you think you're an expert when you are so much into this fandom, you think you know what's happening behind the scenes. And, I mean, I still don't know what's happening behind the scenes at Rare. No. But it's, even back then, like, back then, I really had no idea what was going on. It's a lesson, like, I've had to learn time and time again. Like, you don't, you never know as much as you think you do. Yeah. And, you know, it's... After E3 2001, it felt like the world was our clambo, right? Like, we, we, it, we just had it made in the shade. And we did enter a quiet period after that E3, you know, waiting for everything, but specifically waiting for Star Fox Adventures, colon, Dinosaur Planet, as it, it was still known. The GameCube launched, and with the GameCube, you know, on the back of the box came that screenshot of Donkey Kong Racing, which was just like, yeah, yeah, you better believe Donkey Kong Racing is coming to the GameCube. Bow down to the king, baby. This is a brave new world. I can see the fur texture on Donkey Kong. Look how far we've come. <laughs> right. And so, you know, 2001 rolled on. We got Super Smash Bros. Melee, which featured the voice talent of, of Chris Sieber as Slippy and Peppy in their little cameo in there, which kind of planted the seeds for Rare's sort of takeover of the Star Fox franchise. And, uh, you know, 9-11 aside, life was mostly good that autumn for the, the, the Donkey Kong Universe fan, for the, you know, Rare fanatic. We had a lot to look forward to. And as I personally was staring at the encroaching uncertainty of adulthood, uh, I at least could take comfort in the notion, the idea, that Rare would continue making Donkey Kong games and the shared universe that got me through adolescence and my teenage years 
would persevere as I faced college and the world beyond. So everything was good. I, I was even thinking, you know, you know, I'm going to be graduating high school. Maybe I should leave DK Vine behind. Kind of a childish thing. Uh, what, what am I going to do? Be a Donkey Kong journalist? No, I, I, I want to get into creative endeavors. I have a lot of ideas. Maybe, you know, I, I could even write a comic strip. And uh, so anyway, so December 2001 rolled around. Rare's holiday card was was revealed by the gaming sites. I think IGN maybe was the one who leaked this because, you know, Rare sent out holiday cards to a lot of the, the gaming press. And this was notable, though, not for the fun artwork that it featured of their current hot game. Like, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like Conquer, you know. there There is that holiday render of Conquer pissing in the snow. It says, Happy Holidays. We'd find out much, much later that um, this was, like, part of a set of drawings they did, uh-huh. which was, like, a a 12 Days of Christmas kind of parody, albeit very truncated. Uh-huh. Um, it's a series of drawings all by Will Overton of uh, Rare's upcoming projects. Um, a cameo drawing that says uh, three elements of power... Uh, or sorry, four elements of power, a saber, saber man and saber wolf drawing that says three wolf tracks, a perfect dark image that says two perfect shots, and then the final image was Mr. Pants under a Christmas tree, captioned, and surprises under every tree. Yeah. I guess this would have been fresh after Perfect Dark came out, so it may not necessarily be a reference to Zero. No, th- I think this was just Perfect Dark. There, there was still no inkling of Perfect Dark Zero at this time. Not that I'm the and, expert uh, on Perfect Dark. We'd uh, we'd later find out there was going to be a Star Fox component to this uh, this sequence mm-hmm. that uh, got cut for uh, seemingly uneasy. Uh, n- like feeling uneasy as to whether or not they could use it. Hmm. Yeah. 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 But we didn't know that at the time. But the the one that got leaked by the gaming press was the Mr. Pants one. I, I, is it Mr. Pants or is Mr. I always interpret it as a Mr. Pants snowman, but he does look like a just regular Mr. Pants holding a present. I think this just is regular Mr. Pants, but the way will drew him because this is before um it's mr pants kind of defined what a like press quality mr pants looks like (laughs) right a standardized mr pants for the modern world (laughs) yeah but it's it's mr pants in a santa hat uh under under a christmas tree and just this uh winter snowfield and I mean, similar to a lot of the Christmas scenes that Rare would put in their holiday cards, usually of, of Kongs or Banjo, Kazooie, and friends, you know, just, just ambling about in, in, a, in a snowy wilderness setting at night. But what makes this notable and surprising and to fans of a certain persuasion ominous is that Mr. Pants uh, was putting presents under the tree that were very clearly other game consoles that weren't Nintendo. Um, the, the most obvious one that the eye immediately is drawn to is the 
Xbox because the ribbon around it is a green X. Uh, it makes that shape. And you're like, oh, my God, that's an Xbox. Yeah, it's not particularly subtle, that one. Also, next to it, the purple square box. Yes, which, which is a uh, GameCube. Take a wild guess what that is. Yeah, that, that is a GameCube. So we at least have that to glom onto. Well, the, well, the GameCube's there. Maybe they're just being cheeky. Uh, is, is the PS2 here or... Uh... There's a a yellow box that Mr. Pants is like caressing in this image, and I can't quite tell what it's meant to be because unlike the other two, it's not um it's not color coded as the console is. I think I think it could be a PS2, but it would be like exaggerated in shape a little bit. I don't even honestly know what a PS2 is shaped like. That's how much of a ludite I am when it when it comes to anything that rare hasn't developed for yeah, but, I, mean, uh, <laughs> I i owned a playstation 2 but i bought it late so i got the uh slim model oh, okay um like the original ps2 is this like weird kind of like like almost like two tiers of differently sized books stacked on top of one another yeah um speaking speaking of which read heart of fire um <laughs> but I, I have to assume just by process of elimination that that's what that is intended to be and and i think because it's pretty it's pretty clear what the implication and surprises under every tree is yeah. meant to imply and i think the small package was supposed to be a game boy advance like the, the original model of game boy advance which would be um which which had actually just come out um earlier that year so um yeah, I mean, like, immediately speculation was rife that, oh my god, is Rare, like, ending the Nintendo partnership? Are they going to, like, sell back the, the stake Nintendo has in them? Um, are they going multi-platform? Uh, surprises under every tree would imply that. And the rumors really started to kick in. If I recall, it really started to kick in around the spring that Rare was looking to amend their partnership with Nintendo, which is the most delicate way I can put it. It was unclear to us on the outside what was happening, other than Rare was potentially shopping themselves around, either to make make a go at it as an independent publisher or to be outright owned by another entity. And I remember at the time we felt skepticism of not really believing what we were hearing, partially because Rare had just done this full press court of all these games that could only work with Nintendo. And it's like, well, why would they announce all of this if they were planning on leaving and, and, you know, why wouldn't Nintendo also, like, be inclined to clamp down and keep them around, considering the volume of N64 titles they supplied on their own? And that's a really important point, because unless you really lived during that era, or you are a studious um, observer of history, I, I don't think you can really understand just how important rare was to nintendo's perseverance during those somewhat difficult nintendo 64 years when most third parties had abandoned them and and i know it, it's sort of this like retrospective take that the n64 was some sort of enormous failure but you know the n64 was only a financial failure compared to the nes and snes 
I, I would say it still did and extraordinarily... Certainly compared to the PlayStation. Well, and the PlayStation, yeah. It, it still did extraordinarily well for the era, especially compared to maybe the GameCube and later the Wii U. I, I, don't, I can't sit here and tell you like how much money was sunk on research and development and, and how much they've recouped versus what the profit windfall was for the GameCube. But the N64 wasn't like the, there, there is this like hot take, which we may address on the conversation in, in the coming weeks that the N64 was just this flaming dumpster fire, which wasn't true. It just wasn't the PlayStation. Yeah. A distant second doesn't necessarily mean when that distant second is next to the mega success of the PlayStation 1, doesn't really mean you're in trouble, it, but it does mean you're no longer in first. Yes. And um, and uh, now that we've, you know, we've seen other consoles like the Virtual Boy and the Wii U do far worse than the N64 did. Yeah. You know, but Rare was a big part of why the N64 was able to keep its head above water as much as it did. Because outside of you know Super Mario 64, the, uh, Ocarina of Time, and some other first-party Nintendo games, I mean, the N64 was basically all rare. I made the joke after the Super Nintendo Classic came out that, you know, when there was speculation that we were still going to have an N64 Classic, you know, when mini consoles were still all the rage, I was like, well, they've already released the N64 Classic. It's called Rare Replay. And that's essentially true. I mean, by and large, so much of the non-EAD-developed uh, uh, Nintendo output on the N64 was due to Rare. I mean, it, it was Rare and Pokemon that kept the N64 afloat during those difficult years. And because they were so important to that era... Uh, so vital to Nintendo and honestly Nintendo's identity since 1994. I, I remember we all thought, well, okay, you know, there may be some sort of tift, some sort of maybe financial dispute, a little lover's quarrel, you know, but come on, Nintendo will make things right. They'll give the stampers what they're looking for within reason. How could they not? So there, there's a lot of denial and self-soothing going on at, at, at DK Vine. And you have to keep in mind, like, uh, DK Vine was going through a transition right now where we were, like, getting ready to wind down editorial control over it. And we, we were just going to maybe, maybe leave it in the rearview mirror as we got on with our lives. So also, just DK Vine's average age extremely young adult around that time we're right not exactly right. reading the business trades knowing what we're talking about no we we weren't donning our monocles yet for sure <laughs> but you know come to find out and we wouldn't know this until several years later uh an issue that the stampers were facing uh, chris and tim for for some time was that games were getting more expensive. And they were a bit surprised that Nintendo, considering all Rare had done for them, uh, Nintendo hadn't offered just just buy the studio outright before then. And there, there's this common misnomer, and I saw it today in, in, uh, on my Twitter feed, that um, 
this exclusivity deal between Nintendo and Rare meant that Nintendo actually owned Rare at the time. But the truth is they only had a stake in the company. Was it what I don't was it 10% or something like that? I I've seen I've like so I'm like treading on eggshells talking about this because I never know what information I've gleaned over the years yeah. is factual or just like basically put out there with um the idea to sort of novelize the buyout. Uh-huh. Um and I was kind of but the generally my general understanding of it as it exists in my head, not knowing the truth of the matter, is that Nintendo originally owned a small stake in Rare that they gradually were accruing more of with each like passing yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. I, to, I, th- I think I think by the point the buyout happened, I think it was like around forty nine percent. I was gonna like say, that. yeah, it, it eventually upped itself to forty nine percent, which sounds like, you know, a lot, but it's still not majority ownership. And and so Right uh, to the edge of majority right, ownership. Right. To to the point where it's just like, well, come on, are 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 we gonna seal the deal or not? Uh you know I I'm just imagining uh the the meatloaf song paradise by the dashboard light you know it's like we're, we're not gonna kind of go- see it f- i can kind of see it from like the two perspectives of like from the same perspective of hey why why not just like seal the deal on this and nintendo's perspective of well we've had a good thing going just buying you piecemeal this right. entire time right where where yeah the, the stampers are like you know put a ring on it and and, and nintendo's like you know you know, we 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 just want to fuck. Um, but um, I I think that um, this really was coming to a head for the Stampers long before we knew it on the outside. In fact, it was around two thousand, early two thousand. Like this is before Banjo Tooie came out, right after Donkey Kong sixty four. Around that time that they started entertaining the notion that, well, maybe Nintendo isn't our permanent future. And they started courting offers from Activision and Microsoft, the latter of which didn't even have a console out yet on the market, but they were planning on launching one uh, the following year. And and so this was all kind of under the surface of the last like golden years of the rare and Nintendo partnership. We didn't know it at the time. And, you know, a lot of people like to ascribe things like Conker's bad fur day being the, 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 the straw that broke Gobi's back, right? Like, Oh, Nintendo was just mortified about Conker's bad fur day. And they were like, we don't want you anymore. Rare. And that the truth is, I think a lot of people at Nintendo actually thought Conker's bad fur day was hilarious and they 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 didn't really have a problem with it. It might have ruffled some feathers somewhere, but it wasn't this universal, you know, condemnation of how dare you, filthy Brits, bring this foul sacrilege upon our sacred consoles. Uh, that that wasn't the case necessarily, but it was two thousand two that this bidding war really erupted between Activision. Microsoft, and to a lesser extent, Nintendo. Now, none of us, again, were there. And I can't speak on any great authority to how any of this actually went down. And a lot of this we only know from scattered interviews 
uh, after the fact over the years. So there's kind of a game of telephone that I'm sure is started and things get distorted and exaggerated. Like, yeah, I said, like, people tend to treat this like a novelization. The actual word I'm looking for is dramatization. Yes, yes. Is the heavy lens this tends to get viewed through. One of my go-to examples of this kind of game of telephone that, that starts is this idea that Microsoft thought they were getting Donkey Kong by buying Rare. Because one executive upon touring Rare saw Donkey Kong memorabilia and said, oh, do we own Donkey Kong now? This kind of innocuous, I don't know anything statement. And that turns into... Which, for all we know, could have been like a joke. Right, right, exactly. But that turns into Microsoft only bought Rare because they thought they were getting Donkey Kong rights. And it's like, no, that's not the case. Like... That's that's also not how businesses work. At some point, that question would have come up before you ink the paper. <laughs> right. It's like it's like these aren't idiots. It reminds me of just like political campaign hearsay and just people who don't like a particular candidate creating all sorts of outlandish stuff like images of them looking through binoculars in the wrong direction. Look how stupid this person is. Like that's not how things work. That's not how reality operates. But. Anyway, um, there, there is this, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, common wisdoms out there between people who want to find a reason to hate on either the Xbox brand or Microsoft or just the buyout in general because they took Rare from Nintendo. But the truth is, at the end of the day, Nintendo could have owned Rare. And Rare would have, and the Stampers at least. I say Rare is like this uniform thing when there are lots of people who worked at Rare at the time who may have had conflicting opinions. I can't speak for the entirety of Rare. It isn't a hive mind. The hive mind didn't come to a platonic and ukulele and impossible lair. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, when I say Rare, I'm mostly talking about the Stampers who had final say, of, uh, you know, for all this going down. So why didn't Nintendo purchase Rare? That is kind of the big question, especially as time has passed and hurt feelings have soothed and we've gotten a lot more perspective on what went down. And it's like, wait a second, is Nintendo the villain in this story? And I don't think there's any villain in this story. I, I imagine from your perspective, you can easily ascribe you know, villainous motives. But the truth is, I, I don't think anybody's at fault here. It's simply a matter of what did the Stampers want and who was willing to give it to them. And, the, yeah, well, but why didn't? If Rare carried Nintendo's water for eight years or so, why didn't Nintendo want Rare? And we'll probably never really know for sure, completely. But I think it's often overlooked how much of the leadership turnover Nintendo was going through at this time may have contributed to this factor. Because look at the timeline. The chairman of Nintendo of America, Howard Lincoln, departed the company in the year 2000. Uh, Nintendo uh, of America president, Minoru Arakawa, stepped down in January of 2002. And with him, Ken Lobb, who is one of Rare's closest allies and legitimate friends, he departed the company to go work for Microsoft Game Studios. Ah, And then finally, 
Nintendo's president, Hiroshi Yamauchi, retired in May 2002, which brought with it an entirely new era within Nintendo's entire corporate structure on down, as Satoru Iwata took over. So in less than two years, Nintendo's entire management on both sides of the Pacific had turned over. And Rare suddenly had an in with the newly formed Xbox. So let's also dispel this notion right here and right now that Nintendo didn't buy Rare because all the good ones left Rare. Yeah, we... We've turned this into a running joke amongst ourselves, but I wonder if, like, the context is lost. Sometimes, sometimes. sometimes our running jokes run for so long, given that DK Vine has been around for 23 years, that we forget that people ha- weren't even born when the jokes started. Like, like whenever we try to we use this running gag, it's always in a context that is patently ridiculous, yeah. to make it clear that we're joking. But. Yeah, so... It was common internet wisdom around this era that all the good people, all the creative geniuses left Rare uh, to form Free Radical, right? Because you, you see these stories that a bunch of Rare devs who were behind GoldenEye and uh, initially Perfect Dark left Rare to form their own studio. And it kind of becomes, as I said, a game of telephone, This this idea that... Oh, everyone involved in every game Rare made during the N64 years is suddenly gone. And this is partially <laughs> that the Stampers yeah. speak because the Stampers often were kind of sheepish about uh, building up the, the their own uh, creatives. Like people didn't know who Greg Mails was, Chris Sutherland was. Um, they, they didn't really, uh, Chris Siever, like they didn't really laud the people. They would often not even give them like their full names in the credits. Sometimes they would, but. And like for sometimes, like, I think this is a, a bit of, a bit of like, um, fortunate for marketing then biting them in the ass in the long run is you can promote Rare as, oh, the studio that created Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country and GoldenEye. And and con- conquers bad fur day, and like you can conflate those in people's heads as oh, this is the same team. Yeah, and, and rare, as and, I just said, rare becomes this monolith, this this um, amorphous blob uh, where it just it it you you really can't uh, you really can't see the people behind the games. You only see the brand, and you hear a bunch of people yeah. left rare. And then you think everybody at Rare left, and it kind of becomes this soothing thing for Nintendo yeah. fandom. But by by the way, that mass exodus of all the good people. Um, do you know how many people that was, Heil? Could I count it on one hand, Cameron? You wouldn't even need the entire hand. I wouldn't it, even need my prosthetic golfing fingers. <laughs> no, Diddy Kong could count this on one hand because it is four people total who left to form Free Radical Design. Now, let's be clear. I, this, I, I don't want it to sound like we are shit-talking the fine people who formed Free Radical. Very talented people. Oh, and, exactly. And, yeah. yeah. They're very, very talented people, yes. Be, because I, I don't want it to ever seem like we're tearing down other people to and build it's, up. It's unfair to them to be scapegoated in this yeah, yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's the people behind Goldeneye and who got the ball rolling on Perfect Dark. Um, but that and who were mostly like not, not mostly relative newcomers, I think, except for um, Graham Norgate, who had been there since at least Killer Instinct. Yeah, and Graham Norgate is the one from DK Vine's perspective who was uh, a blow because he did the Donkey Kong Land soundtrack, which we unironically hold up as, as a bit of eight bit brilliance. Uh, but it, I mean, it, it 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 probably was like a PR blow because Goldeneye. I just said on the conversation, you know, Goldeneye was undeniably Rare's most influential game from the N64. But to say that they had nothing else to offer when they also gave us Diddy Kong Racing, Banjo Kazooie, um, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, you know, I mean, it, it's all of these and and finished Perfect Dark, which you know. Perfect Dark didn't fall apart without them, you know, so um, it, it's not disparaging Free Radical at all. I, I have a lot of respect for them and to also have the courage to just go out and make your own way. That's never easy. Um, I just as I have the same respect for uh, Gavin Price at Playtonic for doing the same when, you know, he, times were changing at now Rare in 2014. There, there's going to be a lot of I think this is going to be a running theme in the entirety of us talking about this buyout and the circumstances around it. There aren't villains in this story. There aren't like the people, there aren't heroes. There is stuff that happened and it involved people. Right. And and how you feel about it, it, it can vary. It can differ. And you're entitled to feel how you feel. We're not here to tell you you're wrong for feeling a certain way because let me tell you, when we're discussing this, I'm running the gamut of emotions. Because on one hand, I, I'm i reliving the hurt I felt back then and the lost opportunities I, I see. But I, we're, as you'll see, we're also going to be celebrating the good that came out of it. And yes, good did come out of the buyout. So, as I said, we'll probably never know what went on within Nintendo to cause them to decide... That Rare wasn't worth pursuing. But it's clear from the years following that a lot of underlying philosophies within the company um, had changed. And Rare... I I don't know if Rare would have been allowed to still be the Rare we all know and love under the Nintendo of 2002 onward. And look, I'm not Doctor Strange. We're not going to go through the multiverse of madness and, and explore all of the timelines here because there's just no way of doing that. Um, I, I, just broadly speaking, I would imagine that if Rare had been purchased by Nintendo, they would run into a lot of the similar problems they ran into under the Xbox brand as the industry continued to change and as expectations continue to change. The only difference is that initially they would have retained a lot of their built-in audience, which was the biggest struggle for Rare going to Xbox is all of a sudden a lot of their user base uh, didn't make the jump with them. For, for sure. I think it's it's impossible to know. And the further we get from the buyout, the more the harder it is to gauge how things would have turned out. But I think it's safe to say that in any reality, Rare would have had to go through some growing pains Yeah. Um, as the years went on because absolutely every 
entity in the gaming industry had growing pains at, from the the switch to, during the switch to HD development. Yeah, which would have been right around this time. Um, uh, Nintendo prolonged that a bit longer, so like maybe it would have like um, taken a bit longer for the uh, you know the whole. The holes in the sinking ship to become apparent, but um, th- I mean that's a that's a strong metaphor. But <laughs> no, but yeah, you're just, right. No, you're. I, and I also, we probably wouldn't have Sea of Thieves, so that's a metaphor that doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always pirates in rare games, Cameron. I mean, but just the it, I guess to to spot the the seams that are starting to the seams that are starting to pop under the stress um, yeah. would, might take a little bit longer to become apparent. But I, I think that. Rare, Rare is a company like needing to take a look at itself and reassess would have been something that happened either way. It's just what the outcome of that would be. Um, to- total mystery to me. You know, and, and playing this game, this this hypothetical game of what if Nintendo had bought Rare? Because because keep in mind, like the only way they would have stayed with Nintendo is if Nintendo bought them. Like, like there, there wasn't going to be any reality where the stampers were just like, no, let's just keep things going the way they were. They were looking for a change as early as 2000. No. So, and I mean, if you can go multi-platform, why not? Yeah, exactly. It's more money in your pocket. Exactly. Um, but it, this, this game always reminds me of this thing that uh, Beatles fans do. What if the Beatles didn't break up? And and they take like the the songs from their solo albums and they like kind of try to pull them together into like this Lost Beatles album. I'm like, yeah, but that's not really taking into account the fact that you would have still had this dialogue between the three of them and Ringo would be there too. And you you would like Like they also broke up for a reason because these are people who had friction with each other. Yeah. Yeah, so like a, a lot of the even inspire yeah, a lot of the songs that appeared on their early solo albums were like being kicked around even during the Beatles era. Think of it in terms of Grab by the Ghoulies, but you know, you're you're not going to really have this ability to pull from our reality to construct this fabricated reality because we just don't know how things would go. You you change one thing and all the dominoes start falling. But Anyway, uh, what's what's even crazier though? Talking about the reality where Nintendo could could have gotten Rare, Activision almost bought Rare. They were close. They were very close. It sounds like the Stampers were actually more interested in Activision's offer, which would have allowed them to take their games cross-platform. I mean, imagine a reality where Rare games were actually still on the GameCube, but also on Xbox, also on PlayStation 2. But that would have had obviously disastrous consequences several years down the line. This is the one part of this story where I do feel confident thinking that things would have turned out a certain way, because uh, Activision's uh, history with studios that's acquired under its umbrella, uh, not, not great. Yeah, when when everything blew up with Activision, uh, just last year, um, I I remember uh, I, I still still ongoing. I think yeah, yeah. I tweeted about it and I was like, hey, just wanted to point out, Activision could have owned Rare. We we came very close to this reality. In fact, this was probably the closer timeline native to our own than the one that Nintendo got Rare with. 
Um, that that would have been a doomsday scenario. It, it might have felt more okayish in the contemporary time, but we, and there might have been a you know some good years out of it. But I mean, there yeah. were some good years out of Vicarious Visions. Yes, we we would not be sitting here doing a 20th anniversary retrospective on the buyout as chipper as we are had Activision gotten them. So at the end of the day, uh, Big Daddy Bill Gates offered the most money. Basically, that was what cinched it. It, it, it was the fact that... I, yeah, I, think, I get the impression it was sort of like Microsoft realized they were second to the table and when things started to buckle with Activision... Mm -hmm. um kind of like threw out an offer that nobody could possibly counter yeah the the stampers were like we can buy a castle with this money which which one of them did um (laughs) so (laughs) the 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 funny thing is um this amount um the amount they paid um 375 million Mm -hmm. which record-breaking and absurd patently absurd sounding at the time now it's in the age of like Microsoft having like seemingly bought bought uh, and acquired studios on a bi monthly basis. Yeah. Um, just a, a, a drop in the bucket, drop in the leaky, you might say. Um, if we're keeping on brand, which we are, but you're right, yeah. I, but Rare was the first. Rare, Rare was the. I, I mean, I, I believe Rare was the first studio that. Uh, xbox acquired microsoft acquired even before they started collecting uh, studios like they were uh the infinity stones i mean yeah when you know when they when they bought rare it was the most important day of our lives but for them it was tuesday (laughs) so you know at the end of the day um i would say not knowing precisely how things would have gone had nintendo got it we got the best timeline possible between xbox owning them and activision owning them uh like you said there might have been some initially good years out of it but it would have soured very quickly and um yeah i'm 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 much happier to have a rare that is still around yeah I at the end of the day, a reoccurring theme we will keep coming back to as, as we continue this episode is that we basically got the hardship out of the way early to get to the better times versus having better times that would slowly erode in, into nothingness. And, and so I, I think that will be the ultimate lesson of the buyout in this episode. But let's rewind because because we're 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 talking in terms of 2022 and I want to go back to 2002 September 24th 2002 the day the buyout is announced and ironically the day maybe not ironically maybe strategically timed the day after Star Fox Adventures was released yeah um <laughs> we we know from like stories from people who were on the team like Star Fox Adventures was like one of the only rare titles being developed that time that like had a immovable deadline because they knew this was coming. Yeah. And you know, if you're wondering why we haven't done our spotlight for Star Fox Adventures 20th anniversary, we feel, felt like we had to get the buyout out of the way because, uh, 
the, the buyout you know, just hang over any celebration of Star Fox Adventures. Right. And really. also keep in mind that while we were playing Star Fox Adventures, the buyout had been announced. Like it came out the day after. So unless you beat it in one night, you would have had this knowledge as this is the last rare game for a Nintendo console I will ever play. Last new rare game for Nintendo console I will ever play. So that is a big sort of mood setter for Star Fox Adventures. So it made sense to do this episode first. When we have two enormous 20th anniversaries back-to-back, divided by only 24 hours, it seemed like the most logical route to go. But, um, yeah, the the day it was announced, uh, oh my god, I mean, so much happened and i think it was all announced while i was in class i i I was in college i just started i i was in my i i think i was in my computer class in my freshman year and um i couldn't focus i i don't know if i like went online or if somebody texted me chat or somebody i don't know but i i found out what was happening. I mean, this is the before the era of smartphones. So I wasn't just absentmindedly scrolling on my smartphone in the middle of class looking for uh, rare news. It, it just it came to me. How could it not come to me? This is the, the most earth-shattering thing that could be announced. And it, it, it was announced complete with a, a video that has become very iconic and very downvoted on YouTube. Of um, Which is a shame because out of context, it's a very good video. It's a great video. It, it, it's a video with uh, basically the biggest Rare IPs that were going with Rare that weren't staying with Nintendo. So basically uh, Banjo, Conker, Joanna Dark, and the newcomer Cameo. Um, who who had started development for the GameCube, but was was coming along for the ride with Xbox, and um, yeah, it was just them interacting about about the new news that they were going to be exclusive for Xbox, and Joanna Dark shot Conker out of her gun some somehow, and Conker got lodged in the Xbox logo, and Banjo helped them out, and Banjo was like Xbox, and and Conker was like. Who is this? And uh, then Conker got out his chainsaw and he was like, you know, fuck capitalism. And he saw through the Xbox logo to create the Rare logo or just just, he likes just doing that. He likes doing it's that. It's a pattern of behavior. It, it, it was nice to see, honestly. It was kind of reassuring that Rare would still give their, uh, their corporate overlord shit even under this new arrangement. I don't think it's actually possible for him to have cut that into the Rare logo the way he did. I've tried to figure out how he did it. Just, it, it, it it's just like uh, th- there's no way it makes sense for... Uh, the Duck Hunt duo to be dressed as Banjo Kazooie in their reveal trailer. It, you just got to roll with it, and, and then yeah, you know rule, rule of comedy. Yeah, and then cameo. Comes, it's funny enough. You have to forget it, and then cameo comes down and conquer lust after her, and you know, yeah, it's two thousand two. It was two thousand two. It's it's an interesting video to look back as an artifact of this time because. Every single game that they're highlighting in this presentation ended up looking radically different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, what the mind might go to is that, you know, Banjo looked nothing like he would look in his eventual Xbox brand game. 
which wouldn't come to the 360, but even Conquer would go through a pretty heavy redesign for Live and Reloaded that was then, you know, walked back on um, around the era of Rare Replay, where they reverted him back to this look, but... Perfect Dark and Cameo, radically different. Cameo still had her a lot more, much more pronounced, like, fairy design. Yeah. And Joanna... Like, Perfect Dark at Zero at the time was going for a very, like, stylized, like, cartoon, almost, like, anime-style look. Yeah. But they ended up yeah. totally, like, well, not not completely. The influence is still a little bit there, but eschewing pretty heavily by the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, it, it's it's a cool video. It's still one I like to pull out from time to time. It, it, it just, it's fun if you can divorce yourself from the pain that a lot of fans felt on this day, because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This, this did hurt. This is like, I mean, w- without being hyperbolic, I mean, th- this is as close as I've ever felt to your parents announcing they were splitting up because it, it did have that effect on me uh, be- because yeah, like rare and Nintendo were inseparable in my mind. They were a unit, and they meant so much to my childhood, to my development through my teenage years. And and here I was at the cusp of adulthood, and they they were no more. And it, it felt weird. And, it, and what's more, it was like uh, your your dad's announcing he's leaving your mom, and he introduces his new girlfriend, and you're like, what? It, it was a lot to process. Yeah, I, I, I'm still. It's it's really hard to talk about because I remember, I remember how I felt at the time. But like, I can I can kind of go over the story about how I found out about this yeah. because, um, you know, I, I'm a bit younger than you, and I wasn't nearly as online as many people were around the time this happened, even for 2001 or 2002. Um. So, you know, for me, this was still the age of dial-up internet and uh, limited internet availability because, you know, dial-up internet would tie up your landline and keep you from getting phone calls. Right, right. Um, So, like, I generally had, like, a, like, 15-minute window where I could be online at home. And uh, on dial-up internet, not a lot you can do in 15 minutes. Um, But I had a friend who... You know, we we like to do stuff on their computer whenever I would go over. They had a better setup than I did. Um, And I wanted to show them some stuff on Rare's website, which I had, like, already done at that point because I was, you know, I was looking forward to Star Fox Adventures. It was one of the coolest-looking games I'd ever seen. I had never seen a game look as good as Star Fox Adventures did before, and I wanted to see more stuff about it. Honestly, I, I still haven't really... (laughs) <laughs> it still looks good to this day, in my opinion. Yeah, there's there's a lot of... I mean, I gotta save it for the Star Fox Adventures episodes. But <laughs> hey, there's that's just there's a, a lot teaser. of merits to things that Star Fox Adventures did that even hold up, I think, against other similarly aimed for realism games at the time. But um, yeah. uh, anyway, so I go to load up that page, and uh, I'm not greeted with a Star Fox Adventures page. <laughs> um I am greeted with uh, a picture of Cameo uh, sort of floating past the, um, uh, like, an isolated rare R from their logo. Mm -hmm. 
And at this point, at this point in time, I didn't even know who Cameo was. Yeah. Um, that's how out of the loop I was. Um, generally, like I would find out about stuff either through Nintendo Power or like after it released. But uh, yeah, should I just uh, read the welcome message that first went up? Yeah, um, yeah, because I th- I think I've like mentally blocked this out of my brain. I don't remember a lot of like the the changeover from rare the rare rare website to the new rare website and the new era. I think because this hurt too much, so I had to compartmentalize it in my brain and like uh, put it in quarantine. <laughs> so. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they did reword this at one point. So the version I remember reading that set off the sirens in my head is slightly different. Okay. Uh, Welcome to the new online home of Rare, a high-profile software developer currently beginning the latest chapter in a long and memorable journey through the gaming world. Colon, partnership with Microsoft, and the intention to create top-tier games for its Xbox console. Explore the links for more information. Yeah. Um, yeah, the version I read, which was updated a bit later, uh, was worded slightly differently. It says, specifically, now a part of Microsoft Game Studios. Mm. And that, I think, was, like, reading that sp- specific phrase was where I kind of, like... Like, in the dramatization of these events, this is where the dolly zoom on my face happens. <laughs> um, like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, and at the, at the time, I remember thinking, like, oh, God, what, what, what is this? What's going to happen to Donkey Kong now? Is, like, who's <laughs> going to make Donkey Kong games? Right. I, I, I remember. Was this the actual unveiling of Cameo? Like, we, we had heard about Cameo, that Rare was making a game called Cameo. Uh, but we didn't know anything about it for the longest time. I I, rem- I remember Cameo like, got GameCube previews. I think even at I I believe it even got previews at um, E3 2001 because they, we covered that in our 2001 retrospective. I completely forgot. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. See, because I remember E3 2002, they only showed off Star Fox Adventures, and that was another red flag to people. That something was happening with Rare because they had such a hot and heavy E3 2001 that the next year they only were showing off the one game that it was set to release later that year. And, and it was like, why aren't you showing off all of these great Nintendo games that you announced, Rare? So, yeah, but <laughs> I, this is really when they started focusing on Cameo as this pillar of their future. Because yeah. they suddenly couldn't focus on Donkey Kong, and uh, you, well. you can't focus on Donkey Kong, and you don't have a banjo in the pipeline. You gotta, you gotta shore up some new uh, marquee IPs, and you need to do it yesterday. I remember what really made it real for me. I like memories are starting to trickle back now that I'm seeing this image, and I remember the letter to fans link was what really put the hair hairs on the back of my neck on end because. A letter to fans, as bluntly worded as that, can never be a good thing when you need to do damage control right out of the gate. Like, we know people are going to be worried. We know people are going to be pissed. Yeah, you're not going to click this and see, thank you for your interest in Rare. (laughs) Right. It's like they're not going to uh, announce that TT is a a playable character in Donkey Kong Racing. That's not going to happen. 
should should we read the letter to fans? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read it, Kyle? All right, so this is from Tim and Chris Stamper. Uh, it says, Dear game fans, very broad, not even rare fans, just fans of all games, not even video games, fans of Dungeons and Dragons, Shoots and Ladders. I guess it's Snakes and Ladders over there. All right, dear game fans, there is Snake been- Rattles and Rolls. <laughs> there has been much speculation in the recent past concerning the future direction of Rare Limited. This is also the, the point where you stop seeing any usage of the term Rareware, which was never the official studio name, but was often used interchangeably with, with Rare. And all of a sudden, Rareware was just not happening anymore. Granted, the logo wouldn't be officially retired for another year or so, uh, Grunny's Revenge was the last game to use that logo, which came out right before Grab with the Ghoulies. But anyway, hold on, let me, let me keep reading. Throughout Rare's history, many exciting things have taken place, and the last few months have been no exception. We are sure that some of you are aware that there have been a number of rumors concerning Rare's future course within the industry. Historically, Rare and its personnel have been working within the games industry since our first game release in 1979, and over this period of time, we have produced games across 20-plus different console, computer, handheld, and arcade formats. So we're not just a Nintendo developer, historically, is what they're trying to say. Rare's future plans are to continue exactly as it has done in the past, with the concentration of our efforts on maximizing the potential of a single hardware platform. As per the announcement at XO2 in Seville, Rare's new focus of attention will be the Xbox format. We would like to thank all of the loyal game fans that have been great Rare supporters on previous formats over the years and would like to extend a welcome to them (laughs) to view the latest rare games on the xbox as they become available we at rare are excited to be working on the xbox with its tremendous performance and potential for wonderful games going forward we hope to display some of these very exciting titles and also hope that you share our passion for games thank you again for your support tim and chris stamper rare and there's a kind of a, a sexy uh render of cameo on the side there you know to w- with her ass almost showing to you know divert your eyes from uh the the blinding anger or confusion or despair you may be feeling um what, what strikes me about this letter cameron is how careful they were not to mention the big n Nintendo. It, it, it's funny because today, you know, Rare will openly mention Nintendo, name drop them, tag them on Twitter. You know, uh, there, there's not a fear uh, of, of bringing up Nintendo or their relationship with them, either past or ongoing. And here it was just like ground zero where, no, what? Nintendo who? What? Yeah, no. there, there's a lot of very careful treading in this. Yeah. And I think that's what made it even harder is this kind of day and night cycle we suddenly found ourselves in where, oh, oh, like overnight, the world had changed for us. And it was not a transition, 
many or any of us were prepared for, even with all of the rumors that have been going on for nine months. I mean, it. I, the, I mean, the, for them, it was a trend. It was you had this had to be in the works behind the scenes for a good long while. Yeah. It was probably a lot smoother behind the scenes. For us, this is a hard break. And, and I know what they were doing. They they were like talking up their history pre nineteen ninety four of being, you know, a great multi-platform third-party developer and that's all well and good, but the the truth of the matter all due respect to what uh, Tim and Chris and, and everybody at Rare had accomplished prior to Donkey Kong Country and Killer Instinct, the tr- the truth is Rare became a household name during that partnership with Nintendo. And, and, you know, a lot of us then later found out, oh my god, they did Battletoads? Holy shit, Captain Skyhook. Uh, oh my god, you know, how how far back does Rare go? I didn't know Rare did that game. There, there was that element of it, but, I mean, it, it was Donkey Kong Country that really turned them into this instant buy for many gamers. And then when they started putting that rare logo on N64 boxes and, and it just became this like mark of quality. It was like, Hey, that's rare. I got to check that out. And, um, so a lot of the deepest fandom and connections rare made, especially with gamers across the pond and elsewhere in the world who maybe didn't have a spectrum didn't get to experience the early days of ultimate play of the game. Um, we were Nintendo fans who became rare fans. And so, and like not immaterial, I think to this conversation is um, a lot of us were rare fans who had bought Nintendo's new console <laughs> expecting more rare games. Right. The GameCube had just come out. Uh, a year prior to this with the promise of Donkey Kong racing. And, and, and granted, like I would have bought it solely for Star Fox adventures. If I knew that was the only title that was going to be from rare on the GameCube, I would have bought it, you know, anyway, because look, I bought an N64. I, I set out to buy an N64 when they announced that the Donkey Kong country style Donkey Kong was going to be Mario Kart 64. So it doesn't take much to push me over the edge, but you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of Rare fans, the E3 2001 was the kind of make good promise on the GameCube that made a lot of people ask for that the holiday season of that year. And all of a sudden, well, shit. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, lo- looking back on this, you know, we, we talk about how stark and kind of a splash of cold water in the face it was but i can't imagine how people like lee loveday must have been feeling knowing what this meant for the connection with fans and what they now had to deal with uh i mean lee was the public face of rare at the time he still is in some regards maybe lesser so now he shares those duties but he was, as I like to put it, the mouth of Sauron for the Stampers. And he was the one who had to deal with the angry emails and the... He, he was the public He was the public face of Rare, essentially, for yeah. any fans. And, and, and like, while, whether or not you knew him by name. Yeah. And I'm sure the developers working on games like Grab by the Ghoulies felt a little bit of this trepidation it was lee who had to 
carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. And the fact that he didn't resign, the fact that he's still with Rare today, I, I think it has to speak to something I, up about his character. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. Um, so you you say you can't imagine what he w- what was going through his head um, at this time, Heil. Um, so. I unfortunately inform you that we do actually kind of have some idea because uh, <laughs> Lee um, addressed this in the installment of Scribes immediately following um, this news breaking. How because, immediate? Uh, how immediate was it? Uh, got November seventh, two thousand and two. So he so did, he did you give, know not not a- totally immediate, but yeah. enough to. Uh, uh, probably get a, a decent swath of letters with something to say about all of this. He, he wanted to have a nice Halloween before he really had to, he had to deal with this. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any you would like to read, Cameron? I don't even know if I want to read any of these specifically, but I can <laughs> because these are letters from 2001. I don't want to do too many call outs of people. And also there might be some content I shouldn't read. Yeah. But I'll just... Uh, I'll just pull out some some choice quotes. How about this? We don't, um, we don't have to read that? any names. Yeah, we don't. Have to no, read I'm the, not going to yeah. read any of these names. Okay. Um. Uh. Though, well, I'll, yeah. Um. So here, here's just some choice experts. Um. I know you probably get a lot of emails about this, but what horrible, dangerous disease was it that you people caught that made you abandon your biggest fans? Um. I hate you guys. <laughs> That there is no, we there is no good excuse for you for turning your back on your Nintendo fan base completely in this way in an era where multi-platform games releases are the rule rather than the exception. We are responsible for your considerable success. We are responsible. Uh, yeah, right. I am sorry to announce I am not purchasing any more games from you. Now that you are now you've switched to Microsoft X, Microsoft's Xbox, I cannot buy any more games from you. I have purchased many games from you. You made video gaming what it is. I I would have still purchased games from you if you had kept making them for Nintendo. Could you at least respond to this letter? You have made many people mad and unwilling to purchase any more games from you. That one I just had to read to the end. Yeah, no. I mean, it was poetry. (laughs) uh, Weirdly enough, they became the poet laureate of the United States uh, a decade later. Yeah. Um, oh boy. Did did I send in a letter? I don't even remember if. if uh, At the very least, you didn't make this supercut okay. of. Uh, yeah. So for context, at the beginning of this en- entry of scribes, uh, Lee, represented by the like rare logo avatar, says, "Okay, let's get the inevitable out of the way first. <laughs> and uh, that's where you get the deluge of uh, uh, lovely, lovely commentary, like I just read above. Okay, I didn't send in any angry letters because I was trying to be optimistic at the very least. I had relinquished editorial oversight of DK Vine over the summer, as I mentioned, as I concentrated on starting college and uh, exploring other pursuits like a, a failed webcomic. But when the news hit that September 24th, as I said, I, I felt blindsided even though I should have had all of this mental preparation that had been going on in my subconscious that this was probably going to happen or there was a good chance it would happen. And I, I remember sitting there in my computer class. This is 
probably the only like the one class of my college career that I remember from start to finish. Not for anything <laughs> that was going on, but for my entire thought process throughout because I, I time slowed down. It felt like the class went for four to seven hours and and I thought about a lot and I knew when I got home that afternoon I would have to Come back to DK Vine, uh, rally the troops, and and really um, reassert myself. I, I didn't really gain full editorial uh, oversight again until 2004, but I stayed with DK Vine to that point. Um, I, I was a part of it at the very least um, for for the rest of my natural life. But as I said, I was surprisingly optimistic about, well, certain things even if i was extraordinarily pessimistic about things you wouldn't expect me to be so a little bit about me old heil russell from off of dk vine i had been a nintendo fan honestly a nintendo zealot ever since i was four years old and my mom played the nintendo entertainment system at a friend's house, a friend friend of the family's house. They had a NES. She played it for the first time. She thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And the very next day, she took me to Toys R Us so we could buy the console for our own home. Uh, my mom, in in retrospect, was pretty cool in, in some regards. I, I never gave her the credit uh, she deserved for this, but... We we bought and and this was like 1988, so this is like well into the NES's life. Like we we were relatively late adopters here, but uh, we went to Toys R Us and we got the NES bundle with the zapper gun and the power pad, the fucking power pad, Cameron. I had it, <laughs> man. I I love that power pad. Uh, it's it's I stayed in shape in the years before Connect Sports. Could keep me in shape. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I had that. I religiously watched the Super Mario Brothers Super Show every afternoon uh, in my kindergarten year of class. I had Super Mario Brothers suspenders, uh, so so I could uh, mimic Mario and Luigi's overalls without wearing overalls. I I I was all about Nintendo at this age. Nintendo and the Ninja Turtles. And sometimes the Ninja Turtles on Nintendo. But uh I, you know, I got I got a Super Nintendo then later on for my birthday. I took my Game Boy with me everywhere. And I steadfastly stood by Nintendo when they were the uncool brand on the playground compared to Sega and the Sega Genesis. And you know, I, I thought that was always going to be the case with me. I would be the Nintendo kid loving Mario, and that was that. But something happened in 1994, and I fell in love with a game that I realized I'd been waiting for my entire life. A game that spoke to me on every conceivable level. It it matched every aspect of who I was and who I was going to be, beat by beat. And... I never knew a game could connect with my very soul the way that Donkey Kong Country did. And I made a vow on that gray cartridge that I would follow the series no matter where it went, 
or what got spun off from it. My fandom of Nintendo, little to my knowledge, I didn't realize this was happening, but my fandom of Nintendo was slowly evolving and changing because my loyalties were shifting from 1994 to somewhere in the middle of the N64 years, we'll say 1997, I stopped being a Nintendo fanboy. I was, surprisingly, a Rare fan. And that didn't really practically matter. There was really no difference between the two at the time. Rare games, or Rareware, they were Nintendo games. And and I liked the rare games of Nintendo the most. It was all one big happy family until it wasn't. And when the buyout was announced, I remember that being put into the starkest terms possible because I all of a sudden realized I'm following Rare to Xbox. I I have to get an Xbox. And... I was sitting there in that computer class, suddenly very concerned, as you just said you were, about what it meant for the future of Donkey Kong. And I I wasn't really worried about Rare. I thought Rare would be okay. I I thought, hey, this is probably great news for Banjo-Kazooie and especially Conker. Oh my god. We at DK Vine, we thought that Conker... I, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. I mentioned that we thought that Conquer would become the mascot of Xbox. Because under the auspices of that big green X, Conquer would be allowed to be live and uh, uncensored. And it would become the biggest video game series on the planet. Because this is when every video game system when every brand needed a cartoony mascot which what was a relic of the nintendo sega rivalry you know mario v sonic and many nintendo fans yeah and we kind of like appended like crash bandicoot yeah. to the playstation right right like just trying trying to see the pattern right Especially for Nintendo fans, because Nintendo fans, of which I was still basically a Nintendo fan who was suddenly thrown into this new realization about myself, but we we never really moved on from that Nintendo and Sega rivalry, which which is why like a lot of us were blind to the new industry leader, Sony. We, we didn't really realize what a big deal PlayStation was, because we were still all smug over defeating Sega. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny how much of this rivalry, I would bet, is just distilled down to whichever side of this rivalry you fell on depends on what console your parents bought you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that that is the fact, because when you... And justifying it retroactively. Yeah, when your family really only has the financial means or the incentive to only buy you one new video game console per generation, you are going to go all in on that and find a way to justify it in whatever way possible. And because we were a Nintendo family, we had bought a Nintendo Entertainment System, and so we obviously upgraded to the Super Nintendo rather than going into Genesis territory. Um, yeah, it was just like, okay, I need to find a way to destroy Sega. <laughs> you know, Sega is the enemy. <laughs> I mean, that's how brand loyalty works when you're a child, and that's how brand loyalty works to some people who never grow out of that childlike yeah, mentality. That's... But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we, we just thought that, oh yeah, Conquer is obviously ready-made to be this edgy new console's mascot. Yeah, it... I, I remember, like, so much, like, discourse of, like, throwing things at the wall, trying to figure out what would be the face of Microsoft, Microsoft's Xbox, because we were all, like, I think we all just kind of took it, well, it can't be Master Chief, that Halo is obviously the marquee property on Xbox, but he doesn't fit the type, it needs to be a furry animal, it could be, it could be Blinks, it could be Conker, it could be Sneakers, the mouse, <laughs> I, and no, it, it's, it's Chief. Yeah. It, it, and with with the benefit of like this many generations of hardware in of Microsoft, it, it's it's Master Chief. But again, just just like Rare would struggle to adapt to the changing industry, fans of that era had trouble adapting to the fact that no, uh, companies don't need a cartoony mascot. But yeah, that, that's what we were thinking, and. I I was sitting in that class, Cameron, in the hours after the news broke, while it, it, it just broke to me, while my body was still reeling, I felt it in my bones, and I was mentally going over the possibilities about what Nintendo's next Donkey Kong game would look like, and I kept having this visual in my head of Donkey and Diddy running around a lower-res jungle... Uh, and I, I didn't even ima- I, I imagine Diddy would be there. I couldn't imagine Nintendo abandoning Diddy. Uh, which, you know, in hindsight, yeah, yes and no. Uh, but I, I imagine them in a side-scrolling platformer with graphics less impressive than what Rare uh, would have cooked up. And, and honestly, what I was picturing isn't so far off from what we got eventually with Donkey Kong Country Returns. Although I think visually it was closer to jungle beat um i I was just picturing like you know less detailed scenery um you know it's just like oh yeah donkey and diddy in a game that doesn't like immediately wow you with the lighting effects i think the mood setter for me was um seeing donkey kong in mario party 4 yeah like fairly or not because i think that was the first um appearance we had seen donkey kong make post buyout right um, and I remember scrutinizing that character model and that artwork, <laughs> thinking like, "Huh, you know what? Well, that that looks like Rare's Donkey Kong, but you know, like, like there's like some ten percent of it that's off, and I can't quantify what it is." <laughs> um, DK Vine would helpfully point out that it's that he's smiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, of course, the toothy grin was was becoming in vogue. It it, it would have been a part of it, with or without Rare. Um, and and Mario Party Four was of course in development while Rare was still yeah. It obviously no correlation whatsoever. Yeah, yeah it it wouldn't. But be it kind of just as a kid who wants to read into everything, it felt like this like harbinger of like you know Donkey Kong might still be all right, but he's not going to be the same. Yeah, and, and um, we wouldn't really start seeing the effects until the following year of how Nintendo would proceed with Donkey Kong, but. Yeah, that, that's the way I was feeling. It's like it, it's not going to be as magical. It's going to be different. But, you know, we're going to persevere. I was adamant that this didn't change a damn thing as far as uh, DK Vine and our understanding of Rare's shared universe, the Donkey Kong universe. I I, I remember arguing that this wouldn't be the end of that because how could it? 
even if we would never see the Kongs acknowledge Rare's characters again or vice versa, I said, look, you at the very least, you cannot take away how Banjo and Conker were introduced and what was baked into their backstory. And while it may not be embraced, it would still be the operating yeah, canon you, in the background. You can't change that Kermit the Frog was on Sesame Street just because the Muppets and Sesame Workshop have different ownership. Yeah, and, you know... To my credit, I don't give myself credit that often, I was more or less right, uh, except that Rare pretty much never stopped referencing Donkey Kong, either blatantly or through <laughs> or through illusions. Uh, you know, they would reference Donkey Kong characters, they would they would keep Espresso and Banjo Pilot, they would name drop Diddy Kong Racing from time to time. And this goes on through the present day of both yeah. Sea of Thieves and, and over at Playtonic, they do it all the time. And Nintendo has acknowledged the DKU as recently as 2019 with Banjo and Kazooie's reveal trailer in Smash Ultimate. So the shared universe that we loved has actually never been in danger except for it becoming harder to understand for younger fans who weren't there and don't understand the history. So, AKA the main fallout is Diddy Kong racing is a lot harder to re-release. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, like I said, I, 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 I was like the, the parent, that was the first time I really felt parental as far as my duties for DK vine goes. Yeah. It would take me, it would take me several more years to really mature into that kind of big brother role in the community. But I, I really did feel like the sense of I need to be there for my people. <laughs> so I, I I was the one kind of trying to preach optimism. And, and really, I, I was directing more anger at Nintendo at the time, even without knowing the full history of what happened and why it shook out. I, re I remember being harsher towards Nintendo than I was Rare or Xbox. I maybe had some skepticism towards Xbox, but I was pretty much in this operative wait-and-see uh, mentality and mindset. So that November, for my birthday, um, I asked for an Xbox. Um, it, it, was, it was a big ask, but it was like I tied into uh, graduation from high school. And it's like, hey, you know, some, some parents buy their kids a car. And I was like, actually, I need an Xbox uh, be because, uh, because of rare... Uh, I, I didn't really get into it with my parents because it would take too long to explain, but I wanted to be ready for Rare's first game, whenever that I may can be. put some wheels on it and ride it to school. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to continue to support Rare, as I said. And, and I've been an Xbox gamer more or less ever since, as, as the song goes, through the bad times and the good of their relationship with Rare. I, I've never not adopted an Xbox. I still don't have a Series X, because, uh, I mean, good luck finding one unless you're really lucky and you have the money in your pocket when you do. But, you know, I, I still play my Xbox One. I still use it every day and I, I play it at least once a week video game wise. So, um, yeah, I have a Series X. It's probably the my most used console yeah. because there's I mean, it's. A lot of it is just the the backwards compatibility and showing like how long I've had like it's a constant reminder of how long I've been invested in the Xbox ecosystem at this point because I'm playing games on it that are like fifteen plus years old. Yeah, 
at the end of the day, I'm this was good because it allowed me to go outside of Nintendo for the first time. And honestly, that was the shift right there where it it went from I am a Nintendo gamer to Nintendo is kind of this uh, niche toy that I play with and Xbox is my home console. And maybe that's a little bit too harsh. Obviously, I I've used you know my my Nintendo consoles more than I would use a, a mere toy. But it really does feel like yeah. I mean, I I even remember it being like Xbox marketing speak back when the Wii came out. Of like, gamers are going to buy two consoles. They're going to buy a Wii and they're going to buy an Xbox. Yeah. Because the understanding is that a quote unquote real gamer buys one of the big the big boy consoles, which is either an Xbox or a PlayStation, and you buy the Nintendo console because you want to play Nintendo games. Yeah, and and I I disagree with that, you know, phrasing. Um, I I think a gamer is whoever plays games. You can just play mobile games and still be a gamer in my exactly. But I I do understand the broader principle behind it. That is certainly true for me. Where yeah, uh, I I use Xbox for everything. Uh, including watching uh, streaming services like that is that is my 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 basically home entertainment system. And then I have Nintendo when I want to play Nintendo games. Yeah, I mean, the actual like less condescending way I would phrase it is that. Um, the the like the rest of the in the modern gaming landscape is easiest for me to keep up with via my Xbox, like in terms of anything that's because Nintendo has kind of set themselves up in a completely different ballpark from everybody else. Right. Doing their own thing. So you see a lot of like parody between the Xbox, the PlayStation and PC. Mm -hmm. And Nintendo is kind of, like I said, they're, they're kind of in their own market, but also a competing market. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and that, that's the way it's essentially shook out. Um, and, and since the Xbox One, it, it's really become solidified for me because the Xbox 360, I did play the hell out of, but it kept dying on me. Xbox 360 was a real piece of shit until they came out with the revision. But, you know, I, I went through like three. Yeah, let, let's not speak too glowingly of Xbox. There's yeah, been some real bumps in that road. We're, we're about to go through the pros and the cons of everything that shook out from this. But Cameron, uh, how long did it take for you to to make the plunge into the big green waters of Xbox? Yeah, you generally don't want to plunge into big green water. <laughs> so I was pretty hesitant. Um, so, you know, I... I brought this up before. I'm a bit younger than you, Heil, and um, rub it in, rub it in. Yeah, um, and you know, at that point in time, I didn't really have the disposable income to buy more than one console in a generation. And um, when I would rely on like hints to my parents for gifts and things, it was for. For parents who aren't invested in the world of video gaming, and I think even for parents that are, it's a hard sell to a parent to say, hey, I know I just got a game console last year. <laughs> I want another one. Um, yeah, you so didn't, I you kind didn't, of... For, you, you, didn't, you didn't have the, uh, the cover of, I just graduated high school. I just achieved this major life event. Buy me another one. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, I kind of had this mindset of like, okay, I've got to, I can only get one major console for generation. I got to bet on what I think is the right horse for me. Yeah. And that was generally Nintendo. Um, so after the buyout happened, I kind of kind of had to do this like mental calculus where in the end I did what I thought was the healthiest thing for me to do. Um, I just tried to like stop caring about anything rare was doing that I couldn't play. Oh, wow. and because, well, obviously I, no, I'll, I'll go into it. Um, didn't exactly work. Um, and because Donkey Kong games that I per- wanted to play and like felt familiar to me because of Rare's involvement stopped releasing, I just I fell out of Donkey Kong entirely. I wasn't buying Konga. I wasn't. I didn't buy Jungle Beat. I like like. I wasn't following Mario versus Donkey Kong. I would just look at all of these things and say, well, yeah, that's Donkey Kong, but it's not the Donkey Kong I'm personally invested in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, like a, a side detour to this, which is just kind of funny in the context of all the console war stuff we've been talking about that I won't dwell on too long because it's a tangent. Um, I kind of ended up filling the void of Rare and Donkey Kong with Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Because uh, basically concurrently with the buyout, um, the Dreamcast went bust. And uh, Sega had kind of... They'd gone multi-platform, but they'd kind of seemingly carved out this idea of Nintendo as the um, permanent residence in which Sonic would sleep on the couch. <laughs> Which after is, after which, the Dreamcast buckled. Which is so bizarre to be being uh, a product of the epic console war and and you know having Rare being like the th- this big secret weapon in Nintendo's arsenal and all of a sudden like overnight the entire world order had changed. It's it's, it's like post-World War II and the map just looks completely <laughs> different and all of a sudden Nintendo and Sega are allied and Rare is in the enemy camp. I'm like, what is happening here? Yeah, so it was kind of this flip between, like, I can no longer play the games I was a mega fan of right now, so let me become a fan of a series I was locked out of for this many years, being solely um, tied to Nintendo hardware, because I didn't own any Sega hardware. The only Sonic game I had really invested time into at that point was uh, the PC release of Sonic CD. Mm. So it just became this, like, I'm, you know, I'm waving the shiny object in front of me to uh, distract from what Rare's doing. Um, Which, you know, didn't quite work. Um, When Live and Reloaded, like, I, I missed out on Ghoulies, but I had kind of, like, tried to convince myself that because it was a new IP that starred human characters in a haunted house. Like I didn't have to care. Um, big, big, big mistake. I regret that. Yeah. There's a fish. Um, (laughs) it's a, it's a dead fish. No, I'm talking about Royston. Oh, oh, I thought you meant the, uh, the, the not on guard. No, Royston can never die. (laughs) No, Royston will never leave us. (laughs) 
no matter how hard anybody keeps trying to kill him. Um, but yeah, um, and when Live and Reloaded came out, like I was following it again. I had the Star Fox Adventures effect of this is the prettiest looking game I've ever seen. I can't play it, but I was too young to get Bad Fur Day when it came out on the N64. I'm just going to finally play it on N64 and, you know, have a good time and just think of, you know, this could look twice as pretty, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> um, it took until... It took until Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts came out for me to finally buy into the Xbox system, uh, um, brand. Yeah. And if I'm honest, it was like equal parts Nuts and Bolts and the pre-order bonus of getting Banjo-Kazooie on Xbox Live Arcade in high def. Yeah. Because that put a ticking clock on when I could get it because I... Yeah, I think it was kind of ambiguous at the time, like, if Banjo-Kazooie XBLA was going to be sold separately or if you'd only get it as an early purchase bonus. I, I do so remember it, how it much... put this pressure on. Yeah, how much of a big deal it was that Banjo-Kazooie would be available. Like, the original Banjo-Kazooie in some configuration... Uh, like it, it seems kind of amusing and quaint nowadays where we're celebrating, still celebrating that Banjo-Kazooie, the original N64 version is playable on the Switch. But, you know, the XBLA version has been the standard, the bedrock of Banjo-Kazooie and Tui for so many years now. But but back then it was like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. This is insane. This N64 game is going to be on the Xbox 360. Um, and rel- relatively intact, save uh, a few conspicuous logos. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, of course, after I did that, I went on like a spending spree of buying up all of the rare games I missed and right. just, just like gorging myself on them. Yeah, that, um, that, that feeling. Uh, of, help- of- hopefully at that point, many of them were on steep discount. Yeah, that that great feeling of you finally reached adulthood, you've got uh, somewhat financial freedom, and uh, eBay is a thing all of a sudden. And and it's just like, yes, 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 I want it all, I want it all. Um, Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, we we all eventually got there. I mean, anybody at, like, working for DK Vine uh, has an Xbox, I believe. I mean, we've, I think Jeff might have been one of the last holdouts, um Je- jeff was like adamantly like i i don't want an xbox um i can't speak for him because he's not here right now but i do know like it-, it was the xbox one and it was around the time of rare replay where he went in on the xbox and now jeff is like the biggest xbox gamer i know <laughs> i remember the live reaction we had to the rare replay trailer in our dk vine skype chat so long ago we were still using skype right that, like, we had people chiming in, like, I think maybe, like, 15 minutes after the presentation ended, Matt just posted a message saying, I ordered an Xbox One. <laughs> <laughs> right, I wasn't a part of that chat, because I was, I was the first E3 I attended in person, so I, I was just sitting there. I, I feel I feel like I missed out on a little chunk of DK Vine history there. Uh but but you got meeting Greg Mayles and Robin Beanland. I'd say more than more than a fair True. trade. True, yeah. <laughs> so 
Let's talk about, speaking of Rare Replay, the bad times and the good of the buyout. So, this is where we show our maturity, Cameron. This is where we show our vast perspective for doing this as long as we have. So, I'm not going to sit here. We have that? Yeah, well, we'll feign it at the very (laughs) least. I'm not going to sit here and tell you or anyone listening that the entire 20 years now of the rare xbox partnership has been easy for fans of rare because it absolutely has not there have been a lot of dark days a lot of heartache and yes a lot of angst uh teen angst or otherwise that we had to get through we honestly walked up to the precipice of Rare being gutted, or at least Rare as we've always understood it. And Rare, on their part, did have to evolve. Rare did have to find an audience with the Xbox platform. Rare did have to become something more competitive and more agile for the video game market of today versus the market of the 1990s. And that was not an easy transition And it took them the better part of 20 years to get there. But it wasn't all bad. It it wasn't all anxiety. I would say the days of Don Matrick shepherding Xbox were not an easy time. Um, it, it, It was a lot of uncertainty. And the drama and ultimate more or less financial failure or, or disappointment of nuts and bolts which rare i mean even in nuts and bolts they treated rare rare treated nuts and bolts as it was their yeah, own funeral it was, it was nuts and nuts and bolts is like a period piece of rare's morale at the time yeah it it really felt like rare was holding their own wake <laughs> it, 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 I mean, you you look at the the humor in the game, which I find amusing. Granted, like it, it's funny in a very dark context and depressing context. Um, there, it's just I mean, a lot Gallus of like, humor is still humor. I was laughing. Yeah, I mean, whenever I'm at a funeral, I constantly indulge in gallows humor because it helps make the process easier but it it did feel like they were treating it as their last game right like this is it this is make or break time and honestly it's probably going to be break so (laughs) um yeah i think that might have been around the time log directly looked at the camera and said you may not get a game again yeah 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 so and you had like ghoulies, uh, like ghoulies in, game in garbage and, bins. Yes, and yes. Uh, like item descriptions said like, or, or your vehicle might sink like this game at retail. Um, <laughs> so, like a very, very, very um, self-deprecating tone to that game, even more than Rare's usual amount, which is pretty hefty. Yeah, and this came after a string one after another of financial disappointments. I mean, even their most successful game during that era, Viva Pinata, still didn't set the world on fire like they hoped. It 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 did better, but it it the numbers just weren't there. It it was enough to like they they did invest a lot in that brand and they tried to make it a big thing, but 
it it just didn't find an audience so much with the Xbox crowd of that era. I remember a lot of people I knew did play it, but it was like um like w- without stereotyping the Xbox audience of that era, it was a lot of like oh this is the game that the girlfriends of um certain gamers will play with their boyfriend and I get the impression like Viva Pinata was kind of like what you call like a quiet success. Yeah. Whereas like the marketing blitz kind of wanted to turn it into like a, I mean, it felt very much at the time like Xbox wants to make this their Pokemon, which exactly. just based on the model of the game alone, I don't think it really ever could have been. No, but it, it was enough to get uh, a full-fledged console sequel out of it, a side game not developed by Rare, and a, a television game. series. And a, and, a, and a canon television series, the first piece of Rare expanded universe that is officially recognized as canon by the studio. So, it, I mean, Viva Pinata was like a, a beast sort of in the mid to late aughts, but it never really achieved, I think, what Xbox was hoping it would. And I guess, like, the fact that it was the shining example amid everything they had done kind of painted a painted a distressing picture. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, after Nuts and Bolts, uh, that's that's when the, the ruler came down. The, the, the uh, okay, well, you failed at everything. It's time you just make the games we tell you to make. And that's when the Connect Sports era started, which, um, I, look, I, I don't want to say that Connect Sports, the, the entire trilogy, isn't an expertly crafted series of games because Rare, even uh, under adversity, has never half-assed anything and i would argue that it's probably the best of the get up and move around your living room genre of games that that were chasing we sports in this era oh for sure and i mean let's be honest that's exactly what it was which like not not a bad thing but no. just on its face that's what it was the entire industry was chasing the Wii's success after it kind of blindsided everybody yeah um but you know, I would be lying to your face, Cameron, and, and lying to the face. Well, the I, I my my voice would be lying to the ears of of our listeners if I would say that you know, hey, yeah, we rare fans, we were totally cool with Connect Sports. We were so on board with it. Um, you, you don't know, have to tell me. I was there. I remember <laughs> not being on board. <laughs> Look, I can be the brand new shiny optimistic Heil and, and see the good in things while still acknowledging how it felt at the time. And it felt pretty bad. Like, I I say this, but, like, Connect Sports Rivals, um, absolutely stellar example of the game it's trying to be. And you know, you know what we we make fun uh, of uh, the the meme that it's become, but it really was the best bowling ever, ever, ever on any platform. I mean, it it, it was this go to like a poor yeah you know, poor Craig Duncan had just started at Rare and was really trying to like hype up the first game, sort of under the auspices of his tenure at Rare. Even if I'm sure it got started, you know, before he joined, and he was trying to hype up Connect Sports Rivals, and he said this, and yeah, it's. 
it's an answer and a question that are having two different conversations. Yes. And a little bit. Of course, to the, to the rare fandom who were so desperate for something other than a third straight connect sports game in a row, we were just like rolling our eyes. But, you know, and then we met Craig and, and he seemed like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, and One of the nicest people I've ever interacted with. Very, very like you feel bad about monopolizing his time and he just keeps talking to you. But yes, you feel bad about monopolizing his time, but he will (laughs) let you. Yes. So, I mean, but it's still a funny meme and, and I, I love it. Like I unironically love the quote because it it is because it's true. It's true. Again, let me say it's true. Like, yes, we sports might be easy for your grandma to pick up and play uh, as far as that bowling goes. But if you just want a pure, bowling experience connect sports it was rivals. also just a fun phrase to say very fun like, and, and you you can apply just like to, all the good people yeah you can apply to so many things e- even if you're not actually taking a piss out of that statement it's just fun anyway uh <laughs> so yeah that whole era was rough especially because uh th- this was like 2010 when the connect sports era really started and rare got that really boring new logo and that it, logo probably did more damage than the game itself, I would say, that, in terms of public re- response. That logo was so just um, I, ev- evocative of the kind of design trends of that era, which I loathe with a passion. So. <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I temper a lot of what I... <laughs> Like, I look back on a lot of my feelings around this time, and I'm embarrassed and ashamed of, like, how knee-jerk I was to so many things when I could have just, like, you know, just sensibly turned away and focused on other things. Yeah. Uh, I still don't like that logo. No, and there's a a reason they junked it in 2015. (laughs) And in in favor of, I think, the best logo Rare has ever had. Ever, ever, ever on any platform. (laughs) (laughs) but look i mean when we're going to discuss the the down periods of of the buyout years no ifs ands or buts about it the layoffs in 2014 were the absolute lowest point for the studio for the fandom and for the people involved i mean seeing so many of the beloved creators get cut was, was a dagger straight through the heart i I call it the original sin of what became known as the Renaissance because it did sort of allow like like a cleansing wildfire um, the the growth of the rare of today and it gave us platonic games and I can't imagine doing what I do with DK Vine and this podcast and not having both of those entities in my life in my fandom. But it doesn't mean that I'll ever, you know, feel good <laughs> about it or what went down. No, but- and especially in the space at the time, because I think we were all kind of in the headspace of like, you know, we'd constantly had to counter this all the good people left narrative by saying like, no, look at these specific names that are still here and have been here. And then one day you've get a giant list of all the ones that are no longer there right a lot a lot of a lot of names we uh revered and we still do and And without really any con no no great context as to the nature of why and that's not our place to sit here right exactly you know 
because we are fans and, and that's all we are, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's become more difficult as, as the years have rolled on because, um, we, we have, you know, um, small, small varying ways become friendly with several people at both Rare and Platonic. And sometimes I feel like, you know, um, the the child having to choose between two parents, but it, it's, you know, it, it's always this perspective of I'm a fan of both and it's not really my place to kind of figure out why things went down the way they did. All I know is I will continue to support the creators that I love no matter where they go. And, you know... And I feel like we're getting more... Yeah, exactly. ...as fans out of this rather than less. And and in that, you know, if the people who made the games I love are happy in their... Mm in their current standings in the industry, like who am I to say that that's wrong? I, I like, adore, I'm happy for everybody. I adore so many of the people still at rare and who have come up at rare. I mean, we, we talk about the people who were there in the nineties. There's so many talents at rare who have started well after that, who I, you know, put up on a pedestal as well. And, and talents, I don't even know that well, who I enjoy the works and the, the creative, um, output that they are producing and and i i, I love everybody platonic so it's just it, it's just, it's just one of those things where you know yeah I, I don't feel good that was the absolute lowest point of the buyout era but we effectively got two rares out of it at the end of the day <laughs> and it's it's like one of those thought experiments where you imagine going back and stopping a really bad thing in history from happening but then you you stop and you're like well Will this cause a butterfly effect and then five more bad things will happen as a result? So you don't really want to tamper with the timeline all that much. And all I can say is in the present, we have Rare, we have Platonic, we have creators on both sides producing games the way they want to make them. And I think that is the best of both worlds for sure. Yeah, we we have long crossed the threshold where... I'm entertaining the idea of if you could change the way things shook out, would you with the buyout and everything that followed it? Yeah. And I would say no. Yeah. But, you know, we, we talked about the uh, the bad. Uh, there there was a lot of good, though, wasn't there over the last 20 years. Um, right from the outset, I, I would say grab by the ghoulies. And then later on, Viva Pinata, they are right up there in both quality but specifically tone the 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 tone that nintendo fans who adored rare who never made that jump to the xbox what they think of when they think of rare games i think uh both of those games grab by the ghoulies and the entire viva pinata series they are brimming with with that same vibe that that same energy and, and ghoulies almost circumstantially because of when it was developed yeah um but i yeah i i see this prevailing like treatment of grab by the ghoulies as like the first like the first sign of things being different now Uh uh-huh and whenever i think of grab by the ghoulies like i i think it is of anything rare did post nintendo 64 
the thing that feels the most like a Nintendo 64 Rare game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm even including Star Fox Adventures in that statement. Sure, sure. And, and part of that is it, it, it is essentially the Banjo team. I mean, right? It, it's what they did after Tui. And so you've got a lot of that direct DNA carrying over. And yeah, it, it, I, I, I see all the people giving shit. Grab by the Ghoulies got the worst of it because it was a really hard sell for the Xbox audience. It's, and it's also just the, well, I mean, go ahead. No, and, and just, it was an easy game for Nintendo loyalists to write off. Grab by the Ghoulies. Yeah. What the fuck ever by rare, you know, uh, where it had it come out on the GameCube. I think it would have had a far warmer reception, even if it was virtually identical. Yeah, I, I, I maintain to this day, like, Grab by the Goalies is a very victim of circumstance. If it had come out on the GameCube and, like, the buyout hadn't happened, I think it would be remembered today, like, a bare minimum in the same breath as, like, Blast Core and Jet Force Gemini yeah. of... Like, these games that didn't necessarily set the world on fire, but to the people they meant something to, they're beloved, and, you know, people know what you're talking about, there is a niche audience, there there might be merchandise for it on Fangamer, who knows, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it just, it was also in the unenviable position of, okay, Rare got by, bought by Microsoft, all eyes are on Rare. What's the first thing they're going to do right out of the gate? And, you know, people aren't considerate of the fact that, like, you know, Grab by the Ghoulies was, like, wrong in development. Yeah. It's It got shifted to Xbox because it couldn't just be... It wasn't as far along as Star Fox Adventures where it could just be cleaned up and shipped out. Yeah. Well, um, I, I brought up the Beatles solo album comparison. Um, Grab by the Ghoulies is, is kind of like a track, like... Uh, Teddy Boy or All Things Must Pass, where it it, it it was already in the works when the split happened. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, it, it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I look, it. we will be talking about Grab by the Ghoulies plenty next year for its 20th anniversary. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it, it's a game that I'm glad has found more of an audience with rare replay our good friend malik the cartoon gamer i believe he discovered it uh really with rare replay and he was like oh my god this game is great everyone yeah i believe our friend courtney also alter mentality also discovered it the same way and now she does uh, a stream of the entire story of ghoulies every halloween see i thought courtney was like a long time ghoulies proponent because of that i didn't realize she she was a, a rare replay latecomer wow and uh but yeah grab by the ghoulies i think it really just it had the bad luck of being rare's first xbox game and not being perfect dark or banjo kazooie yeah exactly and if it really all there is to it if it wasn't going to be banjo or perfect dark then rare had an uphill climb and something had to be the sacrificial lamb unfortunately but grab by the ghoulies is a great game it's in my top four favorite games of all time still to this day cameron so uh you know what i will i will go into the grave and be reanimated by dr crackpot defending grab and, by the uh, ghoulies. For, for all the like tea leaf reading we've had to do about like the mood at rare behind the scenes or the things going on with employees grab by the ghoulies stands out to me as a game where like 
This feels like it was fun to make. Oh, yeah. Th- this is a game that feels like people were having a good time putting this together. The fact that uh, Greg Mails chose for his Twitter handle, Ghoulie Boy, out of all the games, out of all the IPs <laughs> he's helped bring to life over the years, he picked Grab by the Ghoulies. I think it, it shows it, ha- it holds a special place in his heart. So, Yeah, I mean, do you know how many more followers he would have gotten if he like called his account Banjo Daddy, both from... Banjo-Kazooie fans and uh, very confused uh, people looking <laughs> for uh, hot banjo players. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, going down the list of positive things about the buyout, well, Conker never did become the Xbox mascot that we all hoped he would be, I would argue that Conker has had a far more successful career under uh, Xbox than he would have had Rare been owned by Nintendo outright. Conquer Live and Reloaded, Conquer's big reunion and, and his role in Project Spark as a result, Young Conquer, and, and Conquer's appearance in hashtag IDARB may not be what every fan who ever wanted a sequel to Bad Fur Day or even dreamed of playing 12 Tales Conquer 64 may have wanted from the Conquer series, but it's still something. And there's quality in all of those titles for sure. They all have their merits. Yes, even Young Conquer. So, you know, it's it basically the, the question is, well, would you rather have this Conquer output or nothing for Conquer ever again? Yeah. Because that's what we yeah. would have faced under Nintendo. Yeah, there's some bumps in that road, but ultimately I do not see a future for Conquer on in the hypothetical world of nintendo ownership whereas today conquer can still be embraced and celebrated and there's always the chance he'll make an appearance so i i think it, i think it's uh, a better situation for conquer by far banjo kazooie nuts and bolts is an underrated game and again it may not be the sequel that anyone wanted or expected but as time passes and the farther away we get from the turmoil of its release and and reveal, I think more people discover its charms and sort of let go of that angst. It's a similar effect, honestly, to us and Jungle Beat, where uh, Jungle Beat represented everything we hated about that era of Donkey Kong and what Nintendo was trying to do to Donkey Kong. And then we got Donkey Kong Country Returns and I went back to Jungle Beat and I was like, ah, this is good fun. (laughs) Oh, fuck me. I was wrong about everything. So the biggest thing I can, I think to speak to for that for nuts and bolts is like, I've increasingly, you know, the distance we get from the the era of the harshest discourse around nuts and bolts, the more I am finding, um, especially among our community, people who say like, no, not only do I like nuts and bolts, it is my favorite Banjo-Kazooie game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I think as the more time goes on, the less that will be a controversial opinion. And I'm really excited to see the Idaho crew stream Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts when they get to it in their current Banjo-thon, because it'd be really interesting to see the game from their perspective. For sure. Um, I I loved the game. It is a very, very different game from Kazooie or Tui, and the reasons why I like it are, I, I'd say some different, but ultimately a big reason why I liked it when it came out is because I still love seeing these characters again, and you know, they feel like these characters and they're 
making me laugh and yeah. doing like there's silly world building stuff. And I mean, there's varying degrees for people. Um, Nuts and bolts was a, a bridge too far for a lot of people in its departure, but Kazoo uh, Tui is also a bridge too far for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. In how different it is from Kazooie. I'm sure Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge missions broke some people. I mean, you know. yeah, I, I, I think I think the legacy of Nuts and Bolts is one that's only going to soften with with age. Yeah, especially, especially when we get away from uh, internet clickbait videos and, and like trying to rile people up about it. Um, when when you when you understand there is a lot of artistry and craft behind Nuts and Bolts, and that as a game in and of itself, not comparing it to expectations or, or what you would want a third Banjo Kazooie game to be by itself, it it was very fun, very revolutionary, and honestly, a couple of years ahead of its time. You know, it it it's it's a that's the one of the big stories I think of the buyout is Rare could never get the timing right upon some of these releases. They would always be either a little behind the zeitgeist or a little ahead of it, and um, it was just like it I mean, wasn't in their in their behind the scenes video. They even acknowledged like we kind of did a Minecraft before Minecraft, yeah. with, with some of what's in Nuts and Bolts. I, I don't think I don't think everything lined up until Sea of Thieves, where every everything just kind of clicked for them, and we're like, we we've got it. We finally yeah. found the property that works for us on Xbox. But, um, you know, we talk about this era, and we talk about it in terms of what they were releasing for the Xbox, and then the 360, and eventually Xbox One, but. We can't move on before we laud the handheld team at Rare, who kept the flame of Rare fandom alive for so many Nintendo partisans up through, and this is astonishing to think about because it's so often overlooked, 2008. So six years after the buyout we were still getting rare games released for nintendo systems not consoles but for the game boy advance and the nintendo ds and the biggest thing i can say for the handheld team despite giving us such cult classics as it's mr pants and and giving us the massively appreciated grunty's revenge is that and Saberwolf, we're allowed to talk about that now. Oh shit, I forgot. The handheld team <laughs> I don't even know if they realize it. I don't even I don't even know if Nintendo realizes it. The handheld team saved the soul of Rare's Donkey Kong due to the runaway success of their trilogy of Donkey Kong Country remakes for the Game Boy Advance. Because without those, Nintendo may have never gone. The direction they did with Donkey Kong Country Returns, and uh, I mean that that was the deciding factor. And well, this is this is what we need to do with Donkey Kong. This was our most financially lucrative Donkey Kong game of this generation. Yeah. Was these remakes of Donkey Kong Country that Rare did? Yeah, the GBA games like not only kept Donkey Kong Country in the zeitgeist for the longtime fans who played it back in the day who wanted were intrigued by playing it on a portable console. It roped in so many new fans who were experiencing Donkey Kong Country in its sequels for the first time with so the Game many, Boy Advance. Yeah. yeah. Without 
those games, we may never have gotten Retro's duology, and we would never be looking at a multi-million dollar theme park, potential movies, and uh, even the direction the purported new Donkey Kong game is going to go, which is going to tread heavily on what Rare got the ball rolling. Rare, even after their relationship, their, their direct partnership with Nintendo ended, we're still influencing the direction of Donkey Kong. And, and I think that deserves recognition, especially from the conversation. So, but, you know, even aside from the, the, the DKC GBA trilogy, which I believe, you know, were the most successful games uh, Rare put out from the handheld team during that era, Granny's Revenge, like as you said, Saber Wolf GBA, It's Mr. Pants, they are three of my favorite Rare games ever. I love them. I love them, and and I honestly, like, it's my only complaint with Rare Replay is it feels somewhat incomplete without some of that handheld representation from that era, but... It really does. I, I wish these games were in there, and, I mean, going back again to Rare being ahead of their time, like, Saberwolf GBA and It's Mr. Pants... They feel like they'd be right at home on, like, a portable touchscreen device. I've been saying it for years that uh, It's Mr. Pants is an ideal mobile title. If Rare or Xbox ever moved in that direction again, it it would really be a fun little game that you could pull out in your phone. Give me a break from Mario Kart Tour. Um, I, I, and I, endlessly I, update it with new funny block drawings to have to solve. Exactly, exactly. But... Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, Diddy Kong Racing DS wasn't to everybody's cup of tea, but it brought back some beloved characters who, you know, have been kind of in limbo. And, um, you know, it, it brought back the Diddy Kong Racing brand at a time when it was definitely in legal limbo. So uh, I, I'm very appreciative of that. And uh, Viva Pinata, Pocket Paradise, the fact that that even exists is, is kind of baffling to me. Their final game for Nintendo uh, is it was a Viva Pinata game. Like, what? Like, it just seems like it's uh, a century apart. But no, it, it existed. It was there. It was real. Um, looking outside of the DKU as we currently understand it, you know, Cameo Elements of Power certainly has its fans. And, uh, you know, I kind of view it as the Jet Force Gemini of the Xbox years, where it, it didn't set the world on fire, but it certainly has its uh, devotees. It certainly has its dedicated audience of supporters. And it's also a game I'm getting ready to replay for reasons. And uh, I'm really looking forward to exploring it now that I sort of have more of a taste for a fantasy setting and I'm more appreciative of that vibe of that aesthetic. I'm really looking forward to sinking my teeth in the cameo because when it came out, it was 2006 and that was, you know, at a weird time in my life where I was kind of uh, outside of the bubble as much as I could have been and didn't really... Um, spend the time with it I should have. Same way with Viva Pinata, honestly, but, you know, at least I, I've kept Viva Pinata more in my radar than Cameo. I'm looking forward to checking out Cameo in a deeper dive. And, you know, Rare Replay, it seems weird, to, it seems like a cheat to mention Rare Replay, but Rare Replay, when that was announced in 2015, with the whole rebranding, you know, the, the more classic 
logo that's evocative of the old Rareware logo, and the sort of general reclamation of Rare's identity, at least in a broad sense. Rare Replay, it it was a sort of reset for the fandom and for Rare and, and for everybody's perception of Rare, because that came out and all of a sudden Rare was no longer this has-been thing. All the good people left, etc. It was suddenly something that could be embraced openly again. Rare Replay went a long way towards making Rare, who people were already getting nostalgic for, again. It made Rare, uh, I guess, cool again, or or, or acceptable again in, in the broader public taste. And it's also this nice um, marriage of... The the titles like everybody knows rare for and would like jump at the chance to revision and stuff like you know it, it's it's the totality of rare's history. It's the people who are buying this because they you know they want to play the banjos again. They want to play battle. They want to play battle toads again. Well, they well cameo is right over there looking all shiny. And uh, like we already said, this exact thing happened with grab by the ghoulies. Yep. Yep. And and it's still it's still sitting there and people are discovering some of these older titles all the time and and it's it's really really great. I mean, it was just a just a fantastic way to sort of shake off all the bad feelings that had been accumulating for the entire buyout era, honestly, you know, uh like highs and lows aside, it had just been this general sense since Don Matrick really uh that uh oh you know oh 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 until we were just utterly defeated and and lying in a ditch broken and bloody and then rare replay came down and and pulled us up and we we, we've been uh on our feet ever since and um and yeah that that brings us to sea of thieves which you know what more can we say about sea of thieves that we don't already say on every sea of thieves related episode we do but it is without w- w- without hyperbole. It is the biggest IP rares ever had at this point. Um, I don't think people, especially the old time rare fans who are are more still Nintendo centric, I don't think they can fathom how big Sea of Thieves is. This is not a Viva Pinata situation where it's sort of okay. It's sort of this like slow burn, quiet sleeper hit. Sea of Thieves is a phenomenon. It it is uh it, it was Xbox's biggest new IP of the Xbox One era. Like this is not just a hit for Rare on Xbox. It is a bigger hit than probably anything they've had on like I I don't even think probably like definitely the bigger hit like in terms of pure um lucrativeness than anything they made under Nintendo's banner even when they were like at the like in even when Donkey Kong Country was like the talk of the town, it's yeah. even, and it's kind of made even Goldeneye. I would say Sea of Thieves has eclipsed Goldeneye as far as the fervor that people feel for it and how it just basically consumes people's even identity, where people are just branding themselves on social media as Captain This and Captain That. It, it's. And, like, you have, like, numerous, like, celebrity, like, unprompted endorsements. Like, yeah, I play Sea of Thieves. Yeah, yeah. And this is what I do in it. But just, it's, it, it's, it's, if given the totality of everything we just, like, covered, it's also, um, 
a game that is like extremely easy to shrug off any derision it faces online from like the the corners of the rare community that refuse to embrace it because like yeah i i i don't think rare can hear you over the scrooge mcducky and vault of sea of thieves uh money right right yeah and you know honestly as somebody who's been all about sea of thieves since day one who saw that trailer walked in hoping for a banjo kazooie trailer saw a pirate game instead and i was like oh my god i this is what i've always wanted and i didn't know it you know i i've wanted a game where rare just solely focused on pirates because this has always been this aspect uh, of rare games since I mean, honestly, before Donkey Kong Country, but for me, like, seeing the Gangplank Galleon sail into Donkey Kong Island was when I was like, wait, why is there there a pirate ship? What? I I think it's extremely telling, like, that if you had just explained what Sea of Thieves is to me, that it is a an always-online multiplayer pirate game where everybody exists in a shared world, like, it would probably not even be on my radar. Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that Rare is doing a, was doing a shared, uh, always online pirate game where you, everybody's in a shared world, that had me over the moon. Yeah, and w- without pulling into the the Skull and Bones debate, it, it is the difference between Sea of Thieves and Skull and Bones to my mind because Sea of Thieves is about rare pirates. You know, rare pirates as we've always understood them, as they've always been portrayed in rare games. And rare pirates are what made me a fan of pirates. I never understood pirates until Greg Mails sat me down and said, no, this is what pirates can be. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Fuck yeah, I'm all about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 terrific. And like I've said before, it allows me to hang out with my friends from around the world in a rare game. In, in Rare's world, every week. and, and It's a I, game that has completely changed my social structure. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, there is there is a before and after Sea of Thieves like I've hit uh, the, relationship chart in my life. I've hit the point in my life where outside of my family, like, my, my only friends are scattered to the winds, right? Like, I don't have any local friends that I hang out with. Uh, and this is, you know, even before the pandemic. So my, my friends live across the continent. They live across the ocean, around the world, in both hemispheres. So if I want to hang out with them, I do it in Sea of Thieves. And, and it's great because it, it is still recognizably Rare's shared world, part of the same universe, you know, just set in the past. And... It's great because I, I I can uh, sail around with you all and feel like I've I've spent a few hours you know being with my buddies and um, I I never thought I would have that experience that ability to have that in a rare game itself so it's basically just life hacking it's oh yeah I'm I'm getting to play a rare game and having time with my friends. Good. Got both out of the way this week. A rare game where we talk with our friends about rare games. <laughs> yes. That's yes. The perfect self-feeding cycle. And finally, before we get to our calls, I have to point out the last good thing about the buyout era as we know it. There is currently a very friendly working relationship between Rare and Nintendo. Uh, they're talking. They're they're doing stuff again. 
it's not like that press release that letter to fans <laughs> that was doing everything it could to avoid mentioning Nintendo. Rare is pretty open about their past history with Nintendo. How important and those- current history with Nintendo. Yeah. They 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 acknowledge how important those eight years were to a legion of their fans, and Nintendo acknowledges it too. And they're 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 embracing their shared history, and they're doing new stuff like putting Banjo and Kazooie in Smash and, and orchestrating that. And and it's it's wonderful to see because it took us a long time to get there. You know, um, at least that public back and forth between the two. And it, it just feels like, oh my God, my parents are talking again. Um, we, we can finally have Thanksgiving dinners that don't end in shouting matches. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we are at a healthier point right now than we probably even were in retrospect in the year 2000 and 2001. We just didn't know it back then, you know, but but everything uh, is, is kind of clicking for us, even if we don't really see the full manifestation of that yet. So, yeah. Um, on this 20th anniversary of the buyout, I guess, uh, I'm thankful that we've, uh, we, we got the hardships over with for the most part. And I'm sure there's hardships to come that we can't foresee right now, but I, I would say that, um, we're sitting pretty right now, all things considered. And that's a, that's an amazing vantage point to have considering the, um, the, the sort of very public gnashing of teeth that the fan community did 20 years ago today. Yeah. It, it feels like we're past the point where like, I mean, obviously literally everything that happens with rare from this point and donkey Kong from this point on is informed by the buyout. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like it's a question that's always there right? in the mind. It's just, it's a thing that happened. And I can play Sea of Thieves like every week and it's not always at the forefront of my mind of like, huh, we probably wouldn't have gotten a game like this if Rare stayed with Nintendo. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, after we take our calls, we have a few of them. Um, we, I know I said I wasn't going to go all Doctor Strange on you, but, uh, I, I've actually, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to go uh, full Scarlet Witch, and we're going to dreamwalk into uh, the reality two doors down past the Activision reality, and we're going to look at the alternate universe where Nintendo bought Rare and the pros and cons that may have shook out. We 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 can't go too far down the line because there's no way of telling how reality would have unfolded, you know, two decades on. But we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to peer through the veil and figure that out. But first, let's take our calls. Hey, hey, conversation. It's Kevin Folger's Gothic Teddy Bear here. I'm going to cut the stick right out. Sorry, Rover Chicken. Maybe next time. So the buyout, eh? Well, this is definite. I can't believe it's been 20 years. You know, to far too many fans, Microsoft is the bad guy, and Nintendo will always be the good guy. 
when it's a little more complicated and nuanced than that. Realistically, what do fans think would have happened even if Nintendo did acquire Rare? The hammer would have came down on them, and it would have came down hard. Nintendo was already making it difficult to work with in the 2000s, as it was. The fact is is that Microsoft has treated Rare better than Nintendo did in the final years of their arrangement. If Rare had stayed with Nintendo, we'd be trading our reality for a better GameCube library, then diminishing returns, and quite possibly the shutdown of Rare by the time we got to the modern era. And if you think Microsoft don't treat Banjo-Kazooie right, do you really think Nintendo would sans Rare? The truth is, Rare needed to restructure if they were going to survive in the modern era. And they did that. And we also got Platonic out of it. So, I do think we did eventually end up in the better timeline. I took issue with a lot of how Microsoft handled Rare from 2002 to 2014. But that's over now. And, you know, there's also Sea of Thieves, which I know is not the traditionalist's cup of tea, but it's Rare's biggest IP ever. So, it's hard to say what would have become if Nintendo had bought Rare. Now, the only way of knowing is that they did it, buy them outright. But with all the company culture changing, Rare might not have been recognizable after a while. But just like all things in life, it's never really that simple. People move on. Things change. And that's just the way it is. Nothing lasts forever. It's something we're all going to have to accept at one point or another. But sometimes, even knowing that doesn't make it any less difficult to come to terms with. Well, hey, thanks for the call, Kevin. And, yeah, and, you know, I, I, by and large, agree with what you have to say. Um, I, I think it's the healthiest perspective to have that, yeah, you know, this golden era of many of our childhoods, many of the millennials' childhood. Um, but but I've even seen online today, you know, some people who were just babies at the time of the buyout who know their history and sort of lament the loss of Rare uh, being with Nintendo full-time. Um, you know, this, this era that we're idolizing wouldn't have lasted, as, as I said, even had Nintendo bought Rare because the entire structure at Nintendo was changing, as we would then see into the GameCube era, into the Wii era, it was going to be completely different anyway, and Rare would have still had to adapt and evolve. I guess this call also ta- uh, touched on an, uh, a what-if scenario I hadn't even thought about until now, but is, like, lumped in in a thought exercise in the same breath as, like, what if Nintendo... I mean, what if Nintendo bought Rare, which uh-huh. is... um what if they didn't uh, cleanly negotiate their IP and Nintendo kept the rights to the franchises Rare developed for them, like Banjo-Kazooie and Killer Instinct. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I have seen the refrain from people of, like, you know, sell Banjo-Kazooie back to Nintendo, give Banjo-Kazooie back to Nintendo, and, like, I can never think anything other than, like, to what end they're not going to do anything with it they they have their own 3d platformer franchise right to contend with when it's been a struggle for the past 20 years to find a consistent home for donkey kong do you really think (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna do anything with banjo and kazooie other than maybe stick them in smash earlier Uh, i mean that that's absolutely true I, i we idealize uh what's you know, on the other lawn, the grass is always greener on the other side. And, and we can't really look at, Hey, you know, 
we, we got a pretty good set of grass right here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. Like so many Nintendo franchises and IPs have fallen by the wayside in the last 20 years. Had the rights to Banjo-Kazooie stayed with Nintendo, maybe we would have gotten a game out of it somewhere along the way, even for the GBA. But it it, it wouldn't be any different than it was uh, the way it shook out, you know. So, yeah, thanks for the call, Kevin. You know, it's refreshing to hear this perspective coming outside of our own house, sort of. You know, it, it's... it's uh, it's a mentality we share often on the conversation, especially in recent years, but it's it's always like kind of affirming to hear it come from others too. Um, even if, you know, it's just being reflected back at us. It's like, oh yeah, okay, we're not crazy. All right. <laughs> thank thank you for the call. All right, let's take our second one. Hey guys, Topbox here. Uh happy twenty years to the buyout. It's wild to think that it's been that long. Um, I wanted to call in and talk about my little bit of an experience with it, because uh, it was the first time where I started paying attention to things outside of Nintendo. I had been a Nintendo-focused guy because I grew up with, this, especially like the 64, with Rare, with Banjo-Kazooie, uh, with Donkey Kong 64, Diddy Kong Racing. And when they moved over to Xbox, it was the first time that I went, well, maybe there are other systems that I can try to play. Um, uh, fun fact, I actually bought an Xbox 360 purely because of Nothing Bolt's announcement. And it's, I mean, to be fair, it's still one of my favorite games to this day for, for all that it is. Um, and it inspired me to go back and check out games like Grab by the Ghoulies and to play, uh, Conquer Live and Reloaded. And I think initially I was pretty hurt when Rare separated from Nintendo because they had done so many titles, like so many of us felt, especially um, Donkey Kong games, and that's, that's a little more convoluted, but it led to us getting the uh, 360 arcade ports, or remasters, I don't know what to call them, of Kazooie and Tooie, which in my eyes are the best ways to play it, and as well as the amazing Perfect Dark uh, Xbox arcade version, which is so good. Um, and it took some time for me to get over what initially felt like a lot of hurt with the buyout, but now with Rare doing what it's doing now, with Sea of Thieves being as strong as it is, and with a lot of hope for Everwild, and I mean, even now we have Goldeneye coming both to the Switch and the Xbox, there's still a working relationship there, and it feels like we're getting the best we can out of the relationship between Xbox, Nintendo, and Rare post-buyout. It's a little more difficult with Donkey Kong since they can't just step in and, like, redevelop a Donkey Kong game or anything like that. But having K. Rule and Smash proves that they're listening. It proves that there's still connection and that hopefully Nintendo isn't afraid to touch on Rare's legacy that they left with the Donkey Kong series and still give us something strong. I'm still crossing my fingers for that game to get announced soon. For a new Donkey Kong, I'm sure we'll be there soon. So happy 20 years on the buyout, guys. We'll catch you soon. Hey, thanks, Scott Box. Cameron, did you ever think upon the 20th anniversary of the buyout that people would be saying, happy buyout, <laughs> happy 20 <laughs> years to the buyout, like, like it's a celebratory thing, or, or at the very least, a, um, a monumental event that is neither good nor bad, but, but just uh, something we must acknowledge and, uh, you know, 
not not. I think I just mean, that like, a, like, a buyout of any kind is a significant enough historical event yeah. to treat it like a holiday. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just amusing to me that you know so few of us are breaking down in tears today. You would think that would be where we would have been just a scant ten years ago, but no, here we are uh, in in pretty good spirits, all things considered. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Copbox. Um, I'm thankful to the buyout because it did push me into the Xbox camp. You know, I I I wonder like what sort of gamer would I be today? I I, I know I'm not uh, a very varied gamer. Um, I'm I'm Mr. DKU, uh, Mr. Rare and Platonic, and nothing much beyond that. But as I said, my my Xbox is my go to console, and you know what 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 kind of person, what kind of weirdo would I be if I only had Nintendo systems? To, you know, not not weirdo, but weird for me, weird, weird from the perspective of who I am today versus you know who I could have been. Um, like, how would I even be viewing things like uh, Netflix and Disney Plus? Like, <laughs> I, I don't I, even I, know. Yeah, the bio kind of like forced to this broadening of horizons for a lot of people really yeah. yeah i mean some as somebody who was a product of those console wars the buyout really helped me get past that get past that blind loyalty to a brand uh, i guess i'm still loyal to rare but you know what i mean uh <laughs> i you know and even now like i i've never owned a playstation but i am not opposed to owning a playstation it, it really did kind of shake me out of that stupid uh, firing squad that so many people still find themselves in. I, I'm always shocked when I see the discourse on Twitter uh, and social media where, where people like Xbox and PlayStation fans are going at it. I'm like, really? We're still doing this? Like, can't we just yeah. all, like, exist? What what is what is the harm? <laughs> I, I don't get it, but... Can't we unite over the fact that these are both hard to get? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But, you know, uh, at the very least, the working relationship between Rare slash Xbox and Nintendo, uh, it's still surreal, you know, to have that, um, to have that, no, we're not competitors uh, mentality. Um, We've come a long way in in 20 short years. Anyway, thanks for the call. We have one more to take, and then we will wrap things up by... Trying to do this thought experiment of what if Nintendo bought Rare and the buyout meant that Rare was firmly under the big N's lock and key. Hey guys, uh, DK Vine people. Um, I have been quite nostalgic over the last week thinking about the Rare buyout. Um, I was in a really weird place back when the GameCube uh, released. Uh, I was uh, 11 years old and in the middle school, and and just things weren't really fun for me. And and I was really into Pokemon. I got a GBA, and really didn't know how I felt about the GameCube. And I think looking back, I was just not at a good place mentally. And then I had a leg injury, and and all that kind of just made that next year just kind of a, a blur. And I really didn't have any ambition to get a GameCube and. I remember opening my Nintendo Power uh, that fall that I kept getting, um, and uh, there was like a small little blurb in the Pack Watch or the Game Watch section that just kind of said, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, Rare is no longer with Nintendo." Um, yeah, 
well, good luck, you know, to, to Donkey Kong and his friends. And um, that really made me decide I didn't really want a GameCube. Um, and it really kind of made me kind of lose touch with the whole generation. Um, I ended up getting a GameCube a couple years later and, and getting really excited for uh, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. And, um, but I really just had a hard time um, getting excited. I actually kind of fell back in love with my N64 and, and, and just replayed and finally beat a bunch of uh, the original you know, um, favorites from that generation. Um, so uh, I think I probably speak for a lot of you know, people my RA millennials that just kind of um, – uh, really had a piece of their childhood ripped from them. And I was at a place where I guess I was growing up. And um, looking back now, that was kind of a point in time when I realized that, uh, you know, your, your, your childhood doesn't last forever. Um, but we're all a better place now, I think. Um, and we're, we're happy uh, that uh, uh, things happen like they did. Um, but, uh, yeah, kind of a kind of a moody uh, retrospective for me personally this week kind of put me in a kind of a, a gloomy place but uh, thankfully uh, all that's behind us and better days are ahead happy 20th well hey thank you so much for the call uh, just I usually don't screen the calls because I like to get a, a live reaction but for this episode I did because I wanted to avoid another Lee Loveday answers angry <laughs> emails <laughs> uh, scenario and I, I was surprised that these calls were all positive and, and, and putting things into like I would say proper perspective so thank you all, all of you who called in um, you know yeah you, um, thank you thank you for not doing what a Lee mentioned several of the letters uh, did that he left out, which was uh, compare the buyout to nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, nine twenty four. Never forget. I, I, I would, I would say, like uh, to our last caller who mentioned that you know the buyout happened when they were in middle school. I can't imagine. Like for me, middle school, middle school was hard for me too. Like the honestly, like aside from the time in my mid twenties where. I really succumbed to my lifelong depression and got suicidal. Um, I, I would say that middle school years were the hardest years of my life. Um, just cause everybody's a dick. And, and, um, and that's when like you stop getting coddled and, and your teachers stop treating you like you're a, a precious little commodity and they just treat you like a little bastard. And, and so you really have no refuge from the shit and, uh, yeah, what, what got me through that was rare. And, uh, Donkey Kong Country 2, which came out right when I started middle school. And if I didn't have that lifeline, I don't even know what my psyche would be. My already scrambled psyche. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like you got through it. Um, and it's, it, it kind of did my heart good to hear you say, uh, it was Jungle Beat that got you back into things because, you know, it took me a long time to embrace that. But you did it from the start, so you were you were ahead of the game in a lot of ways, my friend. So, so Cameron, um, we we're gonna try very briefly this thought experiment of what would it have looked like had Nintendo been the ones to buy Rare. Obviously, we can't ever know how precise and exact this thought experiment will be because this didn't happen in our reality, but. Maybe this will help put things into perspective that it wouldn't have been a bed of roses had uh, had this happened. There, just like with the buyout that we got, there would have been good things and there would have been 
bad things. So let's go down the list really quick because I don't want to dwell on what could have been, but I, I think it's it's fun and it's something we're going to do in our spare time, even if we admit to it or not. So pro. Donkey Kong wouldn't have had the identity crisis that it did, and we would have probably seen Donkey Kong Racing, yes. So that would have been immediately good, and it would have been, you know, very fulfilling for those of us who still can't get over the loss of Donkey Kong Racing. But, you know, I have to wonder what restrictions would befall Rare by the time we got to the Wii, especially if they were starting to struggle to get games off the ground. And and Ooh. I'm even thinking about, like, current-day Retro Studios in comparison to that. Like, I, I don't know the size disparity between Retro and Rare and how it would look, you know, 20 years on at Rare, but would Rare still be developing Donkey yeah. Kong games into the present day? I. I guess that's something we like we've touched on the fact that like Rare stumbled a bit trying to um like re sort of um recalibrate their studio for the GameCube and especially the Xbox 360 but yeah a lot of their projects I mean even in the N64 era saw very um sizable delays um and I'm wondering yeah, would Nintendo have, like, observed a pattern and kind of, like, clamped down a little bit more? Yeah. If yeah. they would have had the full authority to do so, being they would have been under full ownership. Right. And then at what point would Nintendo start dictating what Rare must work on, rather than Rare having the autonomy to say, like, oh, we want to do this game and we want to do that game. And and that, you know, you look internally at Rare and, you know, Greg Mails and, and the, the team around him and and others at Rare, they've always seemed to like to move on to other things after doing a proper sequel. So the question is, how long would have Rare continued developing Donkey Kong games if if they were owned outright by Nintendo? Would, would some of the teams start chafing if, if they felt like they were just forced to become IP factories. Yeah, I guess that entertains a, another question. Like, even if Nintendo, even if Rare stayed under the Nintendo umbrella, like, would necessarily every Donkey Kong game even be developed by Rare? Yeah. Um, I think it's at least reasonable to assume that like rare would still steward the ip in some capacity mm -hmm. especially if say the uh <laughs> the character rights to uh tiny lanky and chunky didn't get sorted out <laughs> right right yeah um, and i can i can see them maybe having a bit more um autonomy over the donkey kong ip than retro implicitly did because yeah. they have the established history stewarding donkey kong for as long as they did and they were the ones who created much of the uh, expanded cast so yeah um but there would have been another con had rare stayed a detrimental effect that isn't often brought up diddy and the other kongs would probably not start showing up in various Mario games as they did beginning in 2003. Because we know the original plan for Mario Kart Double Dash was for Donkey Kong Jr. to be Donkey Kong's partner, a la Mario Tennis, 
for the N64. And I have a feeling this pattern would have continued, you know, potentially even canonically untangling the two characters, retconning Donkey Kong, the modern Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong from Donkey Kong Jr., as Donkey Kong Jr.'s dad, and just completely scrapping the entire backstory for Cranky Kong. Um, I, I, I really do feel like we were on the verge of backsliding on Rare's entire lore and history had they stayed with Nintendo and Nintendo been like, well, we don't want to touch your characters because they're your characters, but we want to use Donkey Kong and Mario games. So that only opens up Donkey Kong Jr. And we're going to start really making things messy and confusing. It, it It's weird to even think that like Smash Brothers didn't acknowledge that DK and Cranky were separate characters until Rare was long out the door. Yeah. Um, the original Smash and Melee both treat them as composite characters yeah and and i so yeah i'm i'm actually making the argument right here and right now that rare leaving actually saved rare's donkey kong continuity because i think nintendo was more willing to play with their stable of characters and ideas after rare was no longer with nintendo and they no longer had that you know proprietary oh you created that so we need to come up with our own thing or be respectful of that the whole like waluigi can't appear in wario games soft rule that they've got going on yeah and i think this speaks to just how unpredictable this alternate scenario is because you explained this like apparent internal politicking mm-hmm. and to the onlooker they probably rightly retort like this makes no sense yeah. Why why not just Diddy is the is the well is the far more like pop culture like entrenched Kong. Why not instead of dredging up DK Jr. but No, it does seem like that very reasonably might have been the case. We we were very close, yeah. Um and and that brings us to another Donkey Kong related con. Uh, we would have gotten, we, we wouldn't have gotten others to play in the Donkey Kong sandbox. You know, as much as I consider myself a rare fan, first and foremost, can you, Cameron, fathom a world where Payon never contributed to this glorious tapestry or retro? You know, even Jungle Beat, is is now beloved by most parties these days and and elements like fucking cobcock we have been embraced by dk vine i mean we love so many elements of the post rare donkey kong and to think that that would have never come to fruition because rare was still making donkey kong games like i can't imagine a donkey kong series without xananab it's a it's a weird one for me to even entertain because like as I mentioned, there was a period of time where I just like stopped caring about Donkey Kong. Yeah. Uh King of Swing is what brought me back. Mm-hmm. That just like this this like celebration of everything Donkey Kong Country ever was as a brand wrapped in this very um appealingly drawn pa- uh package with a with a very silly story yeah i would say it's been healthy for donkey kong even with the brand confusion even with the loss of stature than not having 
a full-time dedicated home aside from Dong Kyung's dalliance with retro. Um, aside from all of that, I think it's been relatively healthy to have this infusion of new ideas and new blood from different studios into the series. I think it's made us stronger and more adaptable to change and different ideas. So uh, that that would definitely hurt um, to, to find ourselves in a reality where yeah. Payon and Retro and others never contributed. As as much as I lament that like some rare characters who were in that Donkey Kong racing trailer still haven't come back in their absence. Yeah. It does having the outside perspective in there, like there were some things that like visions of what rare was doing with the Donkey Kong franchise where I kind of wonder is, is this a result of getting, getting too insular is, could this have gone down a different road? Like I look at, um, at least from what we had seen, who knows if things would have evolved differently. Um, Dixie Kong took a break from Donkey Kong 64. Yeah. And in the foot, in what we saw of Diddy Kong pilot and Donkey Kong racing, they kind of did this, uh, this uh, Pokemon red and blue sort of thing (laughs) with uh, tiny, with tiny Kong being in Donkey Kong racing and Dixie being in Diddy Kong pilot. And like, I have to wonder, like, would we have had this, like status quo where Dixie is bar none, the third most important character in the Donkey Kong series. Uh, and then like we have cranky, we have funky's like heightened importance, yeah. honestly, more than he ever was under rare. Yeah. Um, we've had to, we've kind of had to like fight to prove the, the relevance of K rule, but even that's like have, the worm is turned there. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's weird to think about cause we always view the buyout in terms of, Oh, that was bad for donkey Kong, but you know, what, what would be the alternative? And well, you know, like for, for as nebulous as DK has been, it also kind of forced this examination of what is donkey Kong. Now that we don't have the, the, the people in our ear to tell us what he is. Yeah, for sure. And, and ultimately like the cream has risen um, where, yeah, like a lot of the elements and ideas that rare contributed have proven themselves. Um, and, and we're still fighting and hoping for other elements and characters to return. But I would say we won, you know, at, at the end of the day, we, 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 we came out on top. Um, so, so some other pros uh grab by the ghoulies would have had a bigger audience obviously i think without question it would have found a bigger audience and would have found more success and respect uh for from the outset you know um i i I won't sit here and say grab by the ghoulies would have been a barn burner on the gamecube but it definitely would have found a more receptive crowd for it I could see a world in which it got a sequel if it came out on the GameCube because the team very clearly wanted to make one. Oh my god, don't even like that that almost hurts as much as Donkey Kong Racing, like that grab by the ghoulie sequel yeah, that they've talked about. It's not a definite because as we said, I don't think Grab by the Ghoulies would have lit the world on fire, yeah. but I think it might have pushed the needle enough. Yeah. 
At the very least, it would have been seen as Rare's answer to Luigi's Mansion, even if they play nothing alike, you know, it, it would have been... And I feel like that's even in the conversation with how things ended up. Yeah. Because people don't play them and realize that's an entirely different kind of game. Yeah. But, but it would have continued that, like, dialogue between Nintendo and Rare that people pointed to in the N64 era where, oh, Nintendo would do something and then Rare would do something, their own spin on it and kind of improve it ever so slightly uh pro we may have gotten a star fox adventures 2 the the continued development of the star fox cast under rares watchful eye would have been really interesting to see and uh as much as i love star fox assault as a continuation of star fox adventures and i acknowledge star fox command um i i uh I, I have to like I, I can't even fathom what a rare helmed sequel would look like because it was so quickly out of the conversation. You know, the day after Star Fox Adventures came out, it was like, well, that's never happening. It, it's it's kind of a shame that um, how Star Fox Adventures exists currently is it's a it feels very much like a game that is is a studio finding its footing both in on this new hardware and with this IP that they previously weren't handling because like obviously we a lot had to be lost with converting dinosaur planet into star fox adventures but you can also see a lot of places where rare was i think having fun with getting to handle star fox as an IP yeah like, like there are choices only they would make in there and they're like they clearly understand the the legacy of what they're what they're dealing with yeah i i i think that the star fox adventures streamlined story uh, of of how they took dinosaur planet and they kind of uh, scraped off some of the excess and 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 narrowed it down to work for star fox it's brilliant i i i will stand by what the choices they make i will stand by it on the next couple of episodes we do celebrating star fox adventures but yeah um would have loved to have seen how they followed up on it um that that's even more of a pipe dream than what they would have done with donkey kong because at least we had an idea where donkey kong was going we have no idea where a sfa2 would have taken us um con as i already mentioned conquer would have never been seen again (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I think the most we would have hoped for could hope for is like Conquer might show up as like a spirit in Smash Ultimate. Yeah. Or something like I feel like he might get a nod in like a, a game like like again, like Smash. Yeah. But I don't see a world where that IP is alive. Absolutely. Under not. under Nintendo. Also, it's doubtful that Nintendo would have taken a chance on something like It's Mr. Pants. Some of the more esoteric oddities of Rare's library post Nintendo. If Nintendo owned them outright and were more directly dictating what they were releasing, it's Mr. Pants would have never happened. Um, Not in that form, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they would have said, yes, release this game with this pasty British man in his underwear. Release, well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll treat it right. Not like THQ would treat it. I don't know, but... I know it's Mr. Pants wasn't given a wide release by THQ. It was kind of just like thrown off, but at least we got it. At least we could experience it. At least we could play it. At least people can readily buy it today. So, um, 
it's out there. It exists, and I'm thankful that it exists. Con. With Pokemon and Pikmin in their stable, would Nintendo have had room for piñatas? And this is the point in the divergence of the timeline where it's it's kind of a question of like, well, we would have never even seen Viva Piñata. Viva Piñata was tailored to be Xbox's yeah. answer to this and that. Yeah, this is where we run out of road as far as projects we know were like planned yeah. well in advance of the buyout. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we would have seen Viva Piñata, uh, but what would we have seen in its place? There's no way to tell. And even even if we did see Viva Piñata, I don't think it would have gotten a TV series or a party game spinoff. No, no. It would have always been third ran to the other piece of Pokemon and Pikmin. So. <laughs> uh, another pro, though, we would have probably seen Banjo and Kazooie in Smash much earlier. Uh, in, uh, maybe in, in Brawl, even. Um, hard to say. I... Um, I, I, I think it would have been possible, but, and I think would have been a washout, neither pro nor con, but pretty much the same thing. I think the Banjo-Kazooie series would still be in the weird state it is today, where it's very popular, but it's essentially in limbo because nobody at Rare really wants to do a Banjo-Kazooie game. I think we would they would have run into that very quickly when the Banjo-Kazooie team moved on from Banjo-Tooie. I, I don't really see a reality where they sit down and say, yes, let's make a Banjo-3E, an, another 3D platformer, unless Nintendo directly asked for it. At the very least, I don't see us in the state of affairs where we're on, like, Banjo-60 now. <laughs> no, no. I, I think, like I said, it would have been a wash where maybe it wouldn't have been nuts and bolts, but I, we wouldn't see anything beyond, another, like, a third game somewhere down the line. I think we might have seen a third game that was more confident in itself. Mm, yeah. But, yeah. But I can't say that it would have been, like quote the three everybody wanted no it maybe it would have been for the wii and used waggle controls and everyone would have hated it for that reason yeah i don't know i mean it's i mean i would think like yeah a remote that you hold like yeah because we could be that yeah yeah my last con and my, my last uh glimpse into this reality is sea of thieves could never exist it could never even run on the nintendo switch or the Wii U, or whatever. And Rare would always be playing second fiddle to EPD and the Pokemon Company and other esteemed pillars of, just... of their output. Um, I would say Rare's found far more success these days than they ever could have under Nintendo's umbrella today. And that's not to say the... they couldn't have produced great things, but you look at where Sea of Thieves has brought them compared to their entire history and there's no question they couldn't have done this under nintendo no the the environment is just not there in the ecosystem i think to make a game like sea of thieves in the specific way that it exists yeah on nintendo hardware it's just yeah. i can't fathom it so I guess we have to save some things for the eventual 30 years of the Rare Buyout episode. So maybe we should wrap this up with some final thoughts for today, the 20th anniversary. And at the end of today, to us, 
I would say Rare and Nintendo will always be inseparable to some degree. You know, I define 1994 to 2002 as the glory days of Nintendo, precisely because of what Rare contributed to their library. From my perspective, Rare being purchased by Microsoft simply meant that there would now be Nintendo games on the Xbox. I mean, Grab by the Ghoulies to me is a Nintendo game. Viva Pinata is a Nintendo series. Sea of Thieves, a huge runaway Nintendo game. Nintendo's biggest IP since Splatoon, even. Uh, that's just the way I view my fandom of Nintendo after Rare, after I fell in love with Rare, because it, I shifted to Rare. I, I'm a Rare fan who also owns Nintendo systems. You know, my loyalty shifted, and while I started off as a Nintendo fanatic, Rare showed me the way. They showed me the different way. And I left with them. I left when they did. I'm only sticking around Nintendo so I can have visitation time with the Kongs and, and the Dinosaur Planet cast. The children Rare didn't get in the divorce. We've spent so much of the past 20 years trying to chase the feeling of the eight years that came before it. Trying to reclaim the joys, the feeling of unlimited potential, and the possibility of a shared universe that existed all under one roof. That would continue to expand and evolve and even absorb other franchises as we saw with Star Fox. And ultimately... I have to ask, are we even trying to reclaim the feeling of the Rare and Nintendo partnership, or as the last call put it, simply trying to recapture our own childhoods? I'm not a therapist, I'm not licensed, so I can't say for sure, but I think it's remarkable that we're even both sitting here 20 years on from this doomsday scenario, this thing that should have destroyed our fandom and the concept of the Donkey Kong universe and the influence of Rare on Nintendo and Nintendo on Rare is still vibrant. It's still strong. It's still being felt. People still believe in this. I mean, hell, people at Rare and Nintendo still seem to believe in this. There are now fans of Donkey Kong Country and Banjo-Kazooie working at Nintendo EPD. They're developing games and allowing those influences to shape them, whether it be Super Mario Odyssey cribbing from Banjo-Kazooie, or even the new purported Donkey Kong game being so heavily inspired by what Rare did. And so, you know, maybe the answer isn't that we have to run from this, put it all behind us, grow out of it. Maybe that's not the healthy thing to do after all. Maybe we acknowledge it. We celebrate whatever working relationship and dialogue there can be between the two entities. And we always keep the spirit of it alive within us. But that doesn't mean shutting ourselves off to new ideas and philosophies. We didn't turn up our noses at Donkey Kong Country Returns for being slightly different than how Rare would have done it, even if Professor Chops is bad and should feel bad. You know, the Rare buyout did open us up to new experiences, whether that meant allowing other developers to take a crack at Donkey Kong or buying a console that wasn't Nintendo. And that's good. That's healthy. I feel like I'm a stronger human being because this happened. 
So at the end of the day, the buyout was healthy for us and our fan community, even if it hurt like hell at the time. When we get things as perfect as we can imagine them, like it was in the glory days of Rare and Nintendo working together, we want to encase that in a bubble and keep it airtight for eternity. We want to live in that era and we don't want anything to change it. But in this realm of existence, Cameron, something isn't beautiful because it can persevere forever. No, no. Beauty is often found in the fleeting moments, the fragility of life in these grand cosmos. Had Nintendo bought Rare, well, then things probably would have soured over time. We'd have staved off hardship for but a brief window. But today, we'd still be dealing with the angst of what was to come. Instead, we had the bandage ripped off. While well, I'm really mixing my metaphors here. We had the bandage ripped off. We yelled and screamed and cursed a whole lot. And then we slowly healed. And our scars tell one hell of a beautiful story. No other fandom has really gone through this to the extent that we did. I mean, maybe the Muppets, as you said, I I can't really say for sure. And through all of that immaturity and pettiness and, and creating bogeymen and villains out of various executives on both sides of the table, at the end of the day, I'm proud, most of all, of how our community stuck together, stayed whole, and is still here today. And I'm sure the next 20 years will be completely drama-free. We'll see you next time. So, you gonna do a conversation for uh, when the Super Mario movie teaser premieres? I just know those know-nothing hacks at Illumination are going to ruin Donkey- This has been a File 2 production. Perico.